I'm with Joe and JP. How's it going, guys? Yeah, pretty good. You? Yeah. Very good. Yeah, good, fine. Just thought we should uh, cover um, All In. I think it's uh, important. The biggest indie event ever. Um, I don't know if you count, uh, I mean, as far as America goes and big shows go, I think there's, I suppose, there's When Worlds Collide. Is that the, the best comparison? Yeah, that is, but that. I mean, that had a very sort of localised buzz, wasn't it? It was around Los Angeles where people were most enthusiastic about it. But for the most part, um, this is this is bigger than that. I mean, because there's a real kind of wrestling zeitgeist moment being captured here by it, mm. and it and as we're going to talk about. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so we're going to get into all that today, uh, talk what it means for, I suppose, independent wrestling in general, go through some of the, the highlights of the shows as well. But, yeah, it's been a few days since we recorded, guys. You've had a, a busy weekend. You've been uh, travelling to, to a couple of Rev Pro shows this weekend, I gather. Yeah, yeah, we went to Leamington on Saturday, um, and then I went to the cockpit yesterday as well. Two very solid, very enjoyable shows, got to say. Uh Lucky enough to have Juice Robinson in for the weekend as well, who, tell you what, that man is something. He has got uh, something about him that not a lot of people have, especially over here, and he stood out in a big way. Like, really good to see him uh, in such a small, intimate venue as well. Faced Josh Bodum in Levington, that was the main event. Really good match, um, sort of your typical Josh Bowden match in many ways, with Juice Robinson just kind of adding in his kind of charisma, I suppose, and his sort of likability, which worked well against a heel like Bowden. And then yesterday faced David Starr, which was a I was really happy with on a mystery Rev Pro card as well. So yeah, two really solid shows. I definitely recommend checking the Juice Robinson matches out if you're a fan of his work. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's the shows, aren't we, that we'll hopefully get to talk about uh, properly on a British Wrestling Spotlight episode. This just being a, a one-off special for all, and we won't go into too much detail. But yeah, that sounds really good. I mean, any, any other highlights there at all? I suppose. For, I mean, I was only at the Leamington card. Um, I mean, you have to say, as Joe's already. Um, touched on Juice Juice Robinson, but what was noticeable is it was, it was just sort of solid cards. Actually, the Leamington show was six uh, matches long, and it was over in about it two, was two hours. Two hours ten it was minutes, really nice length, and it was great. I had my kids with me who can at times just like not really enjoy it, but even they said that that was like, that was like a much more reasonable length, and it didn't need to be three hours long. Mm. So um, for that. I wonder if a lot more companies can start to think that maybe try to go two, no more than two and a half. Mm. 
Yeah, I think that's probably the. I mean, speaking, you know, we're going to talk about a five-hour show today, five-hour plus yeah. almost. Uh, yeah, I think there is there's something to be said for that, isn't it? And keeping things tight and making it so that you can catch that last train home, or just making it so that you don't burn the audience out. There's so many indie wrestling shows. Fight Club Pro are one of the worst for it, where it'll go past midnight and you just you're still there thinking, when is this thing gonna end? Uh, there's just are there intermissions as oh, well? God. Forty-five minute intermissions. <laughs> that seems to be staple of indie wrestling as well because progress is it intermissions can go really long as well can't they it's just yeah i mean i suppose you can sell a lot of merch in those long intermissions maybe that's part of the the deal there with fight club pro or maybe it's just the the organization of fight club pro that's the problem there but yeah i think it really makes a difference to the live experience and keeping a crowd hot um for the vod as well it's just yeah i think too many promotions make that mistake don't they yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you. These intermissions last couple of days were 15 minutes on the money as well. Mm. Like I got in about 30 seconds late <laughs> for each, after each intermission because they were short, snappy intermissions. They were the perfect length, I've got to say. Um, as far as other stuff on the shows, I, I would say check out Arrows Are Hungry, looking like a good tag team. Mm. Chris Ridgway had a good couple of matches over the weekend as well. I got Zack Sabre Jr. back at the cockpit. Had a very good match with Chris Ridgway yesterday. Just two so, absolutely solid cards. Ah, oh, Great Okan, Dan McGee. That was a yeah. a really fun match. Probably uh, Great Okan's best showing so far, yeah. I would say. And JP got to have a good chat with Great Okan again, so he was happy, <laughs> weren't you? What did he have to say for himself, JP? Was he more chatty than Tomohiro Ishii was in your call with us? Yeah, he is. His English is, is pretty good. Mm-hmm. He was also saying he's going to be over there for a while. I don't think it's going to be a three-month and he's going back. I think he's going to be... In Rev Pro, um, I'd imagine into twenty nine into twenty nineteen. So, and there's been the evolution of his character, but we'll save a lot of the details. We'll have a much better idea of of sort of where he is perhaps after the after next weekend when we've seen after Rev Pro week. Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. There's plenty of things going on in Rev Pro this week. There's a million shows and a, a million things to cover. We're going to be at the Jacob at the weekend as well. Are you you going to the TV tapings midweek? I'm gonna, we're going to go to the Thursday. The Wednesday, we've got an open evening at work. So we've got to be at work till like 8 o'clock that evening. So fun, fun night Wednesday. But we'll make up for it on Thursday when, uh, yeah, we'll try and get to the second night of tapings, uh, get to the Dundee Arms for a quick one, I imagine. And then, uh, yeah, see how the tapings go. It's going to be interesting. I'm not sure our tickets have gone for the tapings so far, mm-hmm. but be nice to see a good crowd there but yeah it's hard hard one to tell with two two midweek days mm. if anything yeah definitely that's it it's it kind of they've been forced into it haven't they with the well not forced into it but obviously they wanted to get the tv done didn't they so they've they've gone with it and yeah the prices are obviously lower than normal but yeah you wonder how many people are going to want to make the trip on a midweek one has, has there been has there been any midweek your call shows before yeah, they've had uh, a couple of Thursday shows for Global Wars last few oh, years. Yeah, but... I suppose that Thursday you kind of think, when it's a long weekend, you kind of think of that as part of it, don't you, rather than standing out like a sore thumb in the middle. Yeah, and those shows have had some really attractive matches on, though. So you had mm. Hero Ishii one year, 
And then Ishii Keith Lee was on a Thursday as well. This uh, year just gone. And Marty Naito as well. So, you know, you know what you're getting on those shows. And it was Thursday and then Friday in Walthamstow. So it's a bit more manageable. This is Wednesday, Thursday. And also for, say, us and a lot of other people who work in, say, jobs that might be a little bit more seasonal, we're properly going back to work this week. Um, so as teachers, this is our pro- proper start back after a bit of a summer break. So it just makes it a little bit harder for a few people as well, I think. So it's a bit of a tough week, but uh, yeah, hopefully they'll be good. Let's see. Definitely. Well, yeah, then we'll, like I said, we'll talk uh, obviously a lot more of Pro uh, on this Indie Corner feed in the coming weeks. But yeah, we're here today to do a bit of a special on on All In. Um, one of the big questions I had about All In is kind of, yeah, we're, we're obviously coming from a UK perspective. We didn't make it out there, but I wonder, could you do something similar in the UK? That's something we should definitely talk um but yeah it just feels like it's almost an extension of the you know we've seen the the boom in in british wrestling over the last couple of years um and i just think indie wrestling in general it's maybe just in certain parts and certain kind of sections of fans there's it, it does feel like the the all-in crowd and the bullock crowd is quite a different crowd than the maybe the, the the crowds that we're used to and the, the people that we know it's kind of interesting that there's these strange little bubbles around indie wrestling where you can make more money than ever out of what i would have previously said there's a small amount of fans but ten thousand fans is certainly not a, a small number but i suppose we could generally start the discussion with maybe some of those points and just generally how interesting it is the i mean the fans and and wrestlers have, have kind of never been so close together i think that's a big part of what makes you know british wrestling where it is right now and kind of what made all in um i think the the big success that it's been the fact that everyone kind of feels that they're, they're part of something with a with a big show like this well you've kind of really touched upon the reason why it's been so successful um one of the 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 main attractions of all in is the level of interactivity between those wrestlers um the company and the organization as a whole between them and the fans and they can clearly see that the company is doing things in the fans' interest. Whereas, if we're thinking of WWE, and it's impossible not to talk about All In without talking about the impact on the industry, which is obviously WWE dominates it. Um, they actively go out of their way to do things to annoy fans. <laughs> and there's been a very kind of condescending attitude. So some of All In feels like um like almost like not a protest per se but it's like a very visible way of nailing your colors to the mast as a fan about the type of wrestling you want to see because wwe could not provide a card as varied as this even if they really tried hard within their own nature they could never do that yeah, I think I completely agree with that. It's interesting the point you made, Benno, about fans being closer to wrestlers than before. And I think we're at the point where we've got a generation of wrestlers that it's not shameful anymore to say, I love wrestling. I love this about wrestling. I'm going to riff off the past a little bit. You know, look at how the Young Bucks have made their rep out of 
imitating kind of 90s wrestling in many ways like the wrestlers that they love are the wrestlers that i loved growing up as well we're not i think one of the young bucks is younger than me i think nick is younger than me so they grew up in a similar generation watching similar wrestling to us probably getting into similar wrestling at the same times as us and you look at cody rhodes and his awareness of history as well and how he uses say his dad and his family's kind of legacy and lineage in the business to promote his matches now like we saw on all in mm. and i think that it's it's kind of encouraging but now previously where i don't know when i first met jp he was a closet wrestling fan <laughs> and only opened up to me gradually over time I love that and story. told me <laughs> <laughs> told me increments about his wrestling fandom <laughs> until one day he opened up fully well, but now i don't know any wrestling fans who are in the closet yeah. in that respect of I'm a wrestling mm. fan. Like it's not something to be ashamed of anymore. And I think it's almost because wrestlers are now kind of cooler in a sense. Yeah. They're not like these, like they're gigantic, large of life superstars, but there are also people who have the same experience as us as fans. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's made it that little bit more relatable as we've got older as well. As we've grown with wrestling, they've grown with wrestling, if anything. I think it's kind of the, the world's got smaller, hasn't it? I think it's a big part of that. The, the kind of the fact that, I don't know, subcultures like wrestling don't seem quite so strange because there's hardcore fandom for all kinds of things, isn't there? You know, we're. Yeah. On the face, on face value, walking around in a in a bowler club t shirt. I suppose it's they tell them in hot topics, so it's something of a fashion accessory. But generally, it's kind of because there are so many other subcultures where fans will wear their fandom on the sleeve. It's easy to kind of get lost mm. in wrestling and think it's it's special in the way the fans are so hardcore and so passionate. But you get that in comics, you get it in movies, you get it even in you know down to the minutiae of different TV shows as well. It's kind of like. Yeah, because the world is such a, a smaller place now, um, we're all kind of connected and yeah, it kind of gives rise to, to events like this and, and means that yeah, there's a, I don't know, a closer connection both to different fans and also to the wrestlers as well. It's, yeah, I wonder this, is it is it the fact that the business is now exposed is actually, this is the result of it, mm. the fact that they're not these kind of mystery figures mm. that are hidden away from the public that are only brought out on certain occasions. If it was like, say, I don't know, a Hulk Hogan, mm. but, and that meant as a result, it always, I always got the impression that it kind of felt that it looked a lot more backward. Like we were all trying, like people didn't know the fact that it was predetermined. Mm. And now that that's been exposed, you can kind of view it and admire it in a different way about how many different skills a wrestler needs in order to kind of make a match work and make a crowd believe. Mm. And I don't, I don't know if you guys agree with Watching that. it in more like an analytical way, aren't you, I suppose, is, is yeah. the point you get. Some would kind of say, is that better? Is that for the best that we've kind of got an industry where the wrestlers are fans and the fans know what the wrestlers are doing and that line is, is so far blurred? Um, they still work elements to it as we'll, we'll get into all in there's plenty of working that the the all-in lads do but yeah i don't know was it better when people were spitting tobacco and uh fighting in bars uh, in the old bill watts days rather than they uh, playing video games backstage and and doing youtube shows and, and essentially being friends with the fans but you say that and i think that it's almost an extent wrestling is and being the elite especially is almost like a reality tv show mm. being the elite is almost like a parody 
of a reality TV show and the fact that it's scripted and it's so ridiculously over the top. So mm. we see the guys traveling from shows to sh- from show to show, for example. Mm. That's reality. But then they're throwing in like their ridiculousness and their storylines and advancing them through this like on the road movement every week. Mm. And that helps you to invest because you feel like you can relate to their journey a little bit more as well. And it almost makes you feel like you're part of their journey. You know, some people watch Love Island and want to know about people shagging on an island and relate to, I don't know, whoever's got, I don't know, the best relationship on love island i'm rambling talking crap i know but at the same time we're able to watch these guys who we've watched for years and watched what the reality of being a wrestler is but also see their sense of humor as well and then Mm. this show was like you know a show that was the culmination of lots of being the elite storylines in a way wasn't it Mm. so it almost is like an extension of that reality that you were talking about. Whereas, you know, this whole tough guys in bars, oh, it's <laughs> fake. Uh, it's not fake. Watch this. I'm going to beat the shit out <laughs> of you. Pull like, your eye out or something. Yeah, that was, that was that a horror story once? Or trainers, trainees turning up to wrestling and getting their eyes eyes pulled out or bones broken. That's kind of, yeah, different world, isn't it? Yeah, completely. And they I weren't think, actually fans, though, were they? As kids growing up. So it felt like they were always people yeah. from... Athletic backgrounds. Athletic backgrounds who are mm. told, basically beaten up themselves mm. yeah. and then told that this is how it is and this is how you protect the business. Mm. Or they were tough guys who were told that yeah. they'd be good wrestlers. I saw them at the gym lifting weights. I don't know, like Sting and the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. Mm. And then they became wrestlers. And Sting, you think about Sting, he never watched wrestling, did he? Even when he was a wrestler, when he stopped wrestling, he didn't watch wrestling. He wasn't interested in wrestling. Mm. Whereas now, you know, you've got these guys talking about their favorite matches that they were fans of the way that we were fans before they became wrestlers. And there is that relatability on a different level. Whereas say when I was a kid, I used to look up to, I don't know, um, Sean Michaels because he was a superstar and an amazing wrestler. Whereas now I look up to Kenny Omega because he's a great wrestler, Mm. but he's also very relatable. Mm. Yeah. That's kind of, yeah, he's he's a and he's relatable as well because he's a he's a fan like us, isn't he? It kind of kind of gets to the point. I mean, the point I suppose the point is nowadays if you weren't a big fan, like obviously Kenny Mayo was as a kid, and obviously the Young Bucks were, and obviously Cody Rhodes was with his family. I don't know why you'd bother getting into wrestling. There's probably you'd probably go do MMA or something like that if you were one of those tough guys who, who didn't you know didn't grow up a fan um and you had a, a choice you know real athletes like amateur wrestlers those kinds of guys you'd think they'd be taking a different career path and i think we're kind of left with all of the wrestlers being people who were fans themselves and i think that kind of explains why i don't know you get more wrestlers now who understand the fan element of it and also can kind of exploit it as well with the we're all in in, in this together guerrilla market and stuff that you see in so many places mm-hmm. that progress do and that the all in guys do to the to the nth degree as well yeah most definitely and you, you've got to think as well what did these guys not have as fans that they wanted as fans do you know what i mean mm. um and for years we haven't had a proper alternative to wwe as well did they want that are they creating that? Did they want more merchandise as fans that was more reachable? Um, did they want to know more about those superstars? You think about the desperation on internet forums and buying the Observer 
for more information about wrestling. Like as soon as I got the internet, I was all over wrestling forums and it was like almost like the hidden thing that I wanted to know more about that I didn't know that much about because I didn't have access to information. So yeah, I don't know what point I'm trying to make here really. We had to call <laughs> hotlines in my day for that as a kid, which obviously would, I, that ended quickly once my mum found out. Um, there was no way she was she was tolerating that. <laughs> but this is a very progressive attitude towards fandom. And then, obviously, they've been rewarded by... T-shirt sales? Enormous, <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of the stories about the merch lines have been ridiculous. Like, there was a, a point where most people had made, made their way to this, uh, were at their seats, and but there was something like a couple of thousand people queuing up for merch. Mm. And, you know, that's the way of rewarding them. In a way... I mean, one of the big cheers of the night, at the, at, well, at the very beginning, when they brought up the sign about asking people not to not to steal <laughs> the, the pay-per-view, and I got one of the biggest cheers because this is like the most active way of rewarding those wrestlers mm. and also the most active way of making it publicly known that lots of people want them to stay. Yeah. Uh, there is a viable career being an independent wrestler that you can, obviously the hustle is going to be part of it, but you're going to be well compensated. Mm. The thing I'd best describe this show as was a celebration of being a wrestling fan and a wrestler. And it was like, it was the wrestlers party and all us fans were invited to their little party to celebrate what, how great wrestling is Mm -hmm. and how great independent wrestling is. Like I've got to say, I, when the show finished it, it flew by, I thought, and I felt so positive. I felt so upbeat like I felt really, really satisfied by what I'd seen. Mm-hmm. And you get that after New Japan show. I get that after New Japan shows and when I go to live shows. But I can't remember the last time I watched an American-based pay-per-view show and I felt really, really satisfied, upbeat, mm-hmm. and positive about the direction the industry is going in. Yeah. Like WWE pay-per-views, I just I just struggle to watch. The little bit of SummerSlam that I watched, I questioned afterwards why I bothered because I just felt I, I wasn't into it. I felt frustrated. Uh, the booking, I absolutely hated. I just felt like everything was handicapped by the egos of agents and people writing the storylines. There's no logic to it. It's kind of borderline insulting in many ways. And you're watching loads of good wrestlers being misused. It feels like WWE are constantly fighting with us fans. Mm. And they've lost me as a fan as a result of that. Whereas this was us being rewarded as fans and us kind of being given what we wanted as fans on this night Mm. that's it yeah it's kind of like it's that you're rewarded for that attention to detail aren't you you're rewarded for knowing the the beats of being the elite and knowing you know the little in jokes and the you know like marty breaking the fingers of the two pointing guys backstage and things like that the somebody who comes in and just watches this as a as maybe as an outside fan you might not get but the ten thousand people in the building who'd gone there to be part of something like you said there joe to be i almost felt like a lot of people were buying tickets not so much to to see a show or to see matches but to be feel part of a big moment which this whole thing was Uh, and those people got rewarded for one they got to be part of that moment and two the little things mattered um and they got what they wanted like you say that's the that's the big difference here between this product and it's kind of do they be have left a, an open goal there haven't they for 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 somebody to to rush in and and do this when most of WWE's booking is built around pushing guys that people 
generally you know hardcore wrestling fans or really it feels like just generally wrestling fans don't want to see at least in the presentation that they're giving them and week to week doing things the opposite of what a lot of wrestling fans would want and not rewarding you for paying attention if anything you're punished for paying attention with wwe that's kind of the all of those things the the fan engagement the attention to detail that's what the the being the elite guys have kind of found their avenue and found their in and and that's really the big story of why this worked who came out of this show looking bad mm. <laughs> yeah and who comes out of wwe pay-per-views looking kind of bad <laughs> a lot of guys who comes out of raw every week looking bad mm. so many of them like so many geeks mm. across that entire promotion good wrestlers who whose positives aren't accentuated and who just turned into laughing stocks mm. Flavors of the month who just fall away as soon as they can. Or guys who get hot. Look at CM Punk. I know it's a few years ago now in 2011. And how they tried to kill that. Look at Daniel Bryan right now. My favorite wrestler of all time. I've not got an interest at the moment. Mm. Like, that to me, that says it all. Nakamura. Uh, yeah, I think, Naka- I think Nakamura's in ring well. is slightly I wasn't that interested well. in New Japan towards the end, to be honest, apart from the big matches. Uh, so here everyone came out of this looking good everyone put their stamp on this card in some way think about that battle royal at the start of the show everyone got a moment everyone uh was highlighted in some way and no one was highlighted negatively Mm. which is such a good way to book wrestling if you're able to it's i I get that it's probably hard to do that in some ways Mm. but the wwe is such a cynical company um they're not a company that necessarily cares about making their talent look good i feel like their talent are there at times as one uh, sociopath at the top of the trees personal play things and he can kind of make those people do what he wants. He's the puppet master pulling the strings. Let's say Sasha Banks and Bailey. How good were they in NXT? What idiots do they look on the main roster? I know I'm going off on a rant, but here, no one came across like that. Everyone came across as something. Mm. Everyone had something to offer. And that's how this can be if you allow it to be like that. Definitely. Yeah, it's kind of like, I, I saw people criticize the fact that the majority, apart from Marty, the being the elite guys, went over. But it's that. I mean, that's what it's people. Their show. It's their show. People yeah. came to see that. But also, it's not like anybody else looked bad. Everybody really up and down the the cards. Maybe apart from, I mean, I didn't. We should probably talk about some of the stuff on that zero hour bit. I didn't see a lot of of that. Unfortunately, it wasn't uh, available streamed on Fight or anywhere. I could see that. It, I heard reports that Moose didn't look particularly good in that thing, but he was the only one person I've seen anybody say look bad. Um, I was trying to watch that that battle royal on on some bloke's Twitch screen where he was filming his own TV at a, at a random angle. So. I was barely keeping up with it, um, but it looked like everybody within that thing got over, and it, it sounded like it was one of the, the better battle royals that most people uh, have seen in a while. Oh, absolutely. Um, the thing with that battle royal was, I mean, I think you're right about Moose, but then again, it's a battle royal, so it's very easy to kind of not see them or pay attention to them and and see... Um, see the negatives mm. as such he's like he's there he's he's a he's a bigger star than a lot of the people in that match but he really didn't he didn't outshine any of those um he wasn't a pivotal part of it nah, he was we were lucky well we managed to get a decent oh i'll tell you we we had to go to the wgn website <laughs> and was- use a proxy to get around that um 
and then we uh but we did see some of this that twitch twitch screen bloke mm. it was talking over the top of it, it was, <laughs> diy like, that's he, he made it about fans. him rather than about the people he was servicing with it it was like an yeah. ego boost to him speaking of indie wrestling fans yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were a big fan of the Battle Royal, weren't you, John? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was the best Battle Royal I've ever seen. I'm not a fan. I love Royal Rumbles. I'm not a fan of Battle Royals. Mm. And I thought that everyone in here looked good. Like, yeah, yeah Moose, I don't re- I even really remember Moose being in there, to be honest. It wasn't a pivotal part of the match. But I thought there was a really good mix of current indie stars um legends with say tommy dreamer billy gunn and bully ray and hurricane helms as well quirky gimmicks serious gimmicks there was a good mix of different body shapes different styles as well and there was a good mix of young new indie talent as well as current indie talent so a guy like marco stunt who kind of made a name for himself what two weeks ago at joey janela's lost in new york Mm. he got some great moments in this some of the stuff he did with brian cage was awesome Mm. and there's a new guy who's probably made a name for himself you probably know he was who's that little guy in that match you know he's probably going to get more of a buzz as a result of this but then even seeing like little funny things like billy gunn and his son in there like there was something quite cute about it in a way um jordan grace i thought did a yeah. did so many favors for herself that she was booked really effectively in the match but everything she did was good she looked awesome in this match and the way that the heat was put on bully ray we've taken flip gordon in the mask at the beginning and then bully ray but in there at the end but having colt cabana in there with him so you've got the hometown hero in there and colt cabana looked good throughout the whole match so they didn't treat colt cabana in his hometown like a mug mm. and how often do wwe go hometown heat yeah. <laughs> think about yeah. the heat before the hero and colt cabana was treated really well here but bully ray established himself with his role early on as a heel to get Flip Gordon over. And then the ending worked as a result of that. And it was a great moment. So I thought it was a really smartly well laid out and well put together match that worked on every level it needed to. Definitely. I think that that kind of like the Flip Gordon thing kind of links back to what we were saying about being the elite and paying off. So this was a big thing in, in being the elite, but just mm-hmm. paying off things that... I mean, it was the most obvious thing in the world, wasn't it? The Flip Gordon was going to be turning up. It was probably... I mean, I've seen, seen reports of people in the building saying it, it seemed pretty obvious that he was going to be uh, one of the luchadors, but obvious isn't always bad, is it? The fans wanted to see flip gordon in this role and they wanted to see him make it to all in so rather than try and swerve people or or do something different they did the dean malenko sequel play and they and they made it work yeah i mean and that's an incredible i know one of the i did hear people say about how possibly predictable the show is well they haven't announced the sequel (laughs) good this is meant to be the season finale of being the elite so they have they want to pay off the steps the storylines that's fine. There's other stuff that they'll be able to go into on being the elite after this, and that will also work. Yeah. So predictable worked for this because it's what people wanted. It's what they had paid to go out and see. And the idea of not giving your fan base who've paid a hell of a lot of money to go out there is so counterproductive. Yeah, absolutely. But we see it happen. It felt like a bit of a treat as well, this Battle Royal. It's like a yeah. super indie Battle Royal. Yeah. We had like guys in there that we never thought that we were going to see facing off against each other on like this major a platform. Like, mm. you know, I don't know, Hurricane Helms and 
Marco Stun <laughs> with a sprinkling of Flip Gordon. Like it's all a bit odd. Billy like, their backgrounds Jacobs. and their yeah, their current place in wrestling is so yeah, it's almost diverse. If anything, the diversity of the Battle Royal itself was a great thing and i think it almost encapsulates um the positive aspect of people working together promotions working together promotions being open-minded impact guys being in there ring of honor guys Mm. being in there lucha underground guys being in there why the hell not like this is (laughs) for the best yeah yeah that's kind of that that stood out for me as well it was kind of like every company like you say is represented there it's it's gone are the days where lucha underground are kicking off about their referee being on impact or the other way around and yeah wasn't, wasn't the referee once kind of uh, digitized out of, of one of the shows or something and there's yeah the, the, all kinds of weird contractual things it was probably a contractual nightmare getting it to work from the being the elite guys point of view but they made it work, and it was kind of nice, wasn't it? Yeah, to see like a, like you say, a celebration and a, a melting pot of of all different dudes with all different backgrounds, and it also felt like a a, a match where, you know, like Sir Cody and the Young Bucks have probably looked at it and they picked, you know, older wrestlers like Tommy Dreamer and and Bully Ray who, who mean certain things to indie wrestling fans, but also like you say, giving spots to the likes of a a Marco Stunt and and having you know guys that kind of represent what this whole project is what all in is supposed to be all here um and on tv as well in america and wgn it was just yeah just uh great that they could uh they could manage to do that absolutely i think melting pot is something i've actually got written on my notes as well so it's good that you use that bellow but i haven't got it written just to represent the battle royal i've got it written to represent the card as a whole mm. It was a melting pot of wrestling up and down the card. In terms of the variety and the different types of matches that you got up and down this card, you think you've got different generations of wrestling through the ages represented. You've got, say, 70s, 80s classic title match wrestling with the epic NWA title match. You've got um, celebrities wrestling with the Stephen Amell stuff, so like that kind of WrestleMania-style celebrity one-off match. You've got... Uh, like modern day high flying like that pwg sort of stuff currently that dragon gate inspired with the main event you've got the modern day main events the new japan main events with omega doing his pacey over the top main event whereas a carder but doing his measured um really well paced main event with marty skirl you've got ecw hardcore style match from the 90s with the janella versus hangman page match as well like this was a melting pot of wrestling styles as well it wasn't one specific style where you had to wrestle a certain way and my god did this work <laughs> like it's amazing that you can have that nick aldis cody match on the same card as that crazy hangman page joey janella match and why can't you have that <laughs> you know yeah. it, it works it really really worked although did billy Gunn's son work for both of you <laughs> oh, from what i could uh, see on the guy's stream i couldn't really make too much out about him but i hear good things I think it was kind of funny. I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't know he had a son. I didn't know he had a son who could wrestle. Who, at times, because they're both wearing the same pair of tights and the same haircut, it was a bit like is that Billy. And obviously, Billy Gunn's a bit more muscular. But while stuff's going on, it was a little bit. At times, I was like, is that him? And I couldn't quite work work out. It was very, very. I wonder if he, as a result, 
he is now going to be known. So, yeah, he's going to be getting more bookings off the back of this. Son of gum. So, yeah. <laughs> like son of habit. Right. Yeah. Was, is there anything else notable on the uh, on the WWN bit that, that you managed to see from the stream or anything else you want to note? We saw the end of the tag match, so we can't really comment on it, except yeah. for the crowd were really hot, and it seemed to That's, be really into yeah. it. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, getting into the, the main card then, I mean, this was my first impression of real proper impression the presentation of things i've got to say yeah before we go further just getting to see a well-produced indie wrestling show as well it was almost oh. like i've seen people describe it as looking a bit like a, a well like a hd tna pay-per-view i kind of likened it to a bit more like a, a just a well-produced modern wcw looking kind of show um Part of me yeah. was kind of when we came to the pay-per-view portion and it was quite still quite dark in there, you know, as far as the crowd goes. I almost thought, like, if I was the Cody in the books, I'd just turn the lights off and I'd want to... Sh- turn the lights on, sorry, and want to show off the, the 10,000 people in there as much as I could. But they did that well enough with the, the different camera angles and just a well-produced, better produced than really any other indie show I can remember seeing, including, norm, you know, run-of-the-mill ring of honor shows as well and i think ring of honor had a, a huge hand in this production too so that's interesting absolutely like there's a really good use of the crane mm. at ringside to get a couple of different angles and there was some like really good shots over the crowd i wonder if they used some of the tna crew i think we were, we were wondering at the time which production crew they got in because they knew how to film wrestling mm. like it was clearly being directed by someone who knew when to cut i mean it wasn't over the top, but it felt, you know, at the same time, and it sounds like bizarre praise. It felt like a big show pay-per-view of what we would remember from WCW or WWE. Mm. It didn't feel completely out of place. There were like, if you're nitpicking couple of bits of sound issues. Mm. Um, I mean, I think that might've been part of the reason why they didn't go backstage and do a lot of backstage segments, but do you know what? It was nice not having backstage segments. Mm. It was like somewhat refreshing of not having, some of the tropes that we we come to expect from big American pay-per-views. Well, I think them starting with Matt Cross and MJF as well was quite a smart move because it was a late edition of the card, but it Mm. felt to me like it was a, right, here's a match that can get the crowd up because we've got MJF, who's kind of a new guy on the scene, who's doing good things in MLW as as well as other places. We've got Matt Cross, who's going to be familiar with the crowd, and he's a you know, a high-flying guy who can get the match in, a peep guys into his match with a sort of high-energy approach. But if the stream goes down, we've got to sort the stream out in the first 10 minutes of the show, people aren't going to be that annoyed about missing this one. So let's use this (laughs) as a little buffer to get this stream working and make sure everything's ticking over properly, and then we'll get into the show proper. And I thought, if that was the reason, that's a really smart way to do it. Yeah, I saw that conspiracy theory a couple of times, and it does make sense, doesn't it? Because MJF and Macross were both announced for the show i remember them both having all in graphics uh and then when they weren't in the battle royal it was a little bit strange i've got to be honest i didn't realize until the match happened that they hadn't been in there in the battle royal but if it was yeah something they've done on purpose it's kind of inspired because yeah that is a point as far as production goes i this at the very start was the only point all night i had any streaming issues i heard people having a couple of issues throughout the night but this was the point where it was happening, wasn't it? And it kind of, yeah, made sense. Maybe delay the start of the cards, the proper cards a little bit. And yeah, people won't be too angry that they maybe missed a, a couple of seconds of this one. Yeah, it's a good way of sort of delaying 
if there is any negative reactions, people would be, I just missed some MGF Matt Cross. Because <laughs> that was, I hadn't thought of that because that was some of the things I was thinking of what purpose it served. Yeah. With the benefit of hindsight, seeing as the production kind of went off seamlessly. It, it, it was... They could have done with actually losing the 10 minutes because of <laughs> what happened at the very end of the show. Yeah, but that's obviously that. with, the ben- with the benefit of hindsight. But as a... Oh, go on. And I was going to say as well, I mean, as a match, it was it was fine. I'd like to have seen MJF do a bit of a promo. That's obviously yeah. one of his... He, in the ring, he's not quite there yet he's he's perfectly decent mm. and we'll get a, we'll get a lot better but there isn't anything that kind of makes him seem particularly outstanding but as someone with that kind of innate heel charisma he really has that yeah that, that's kind and, of my big takeaway for him as well that's him isn't he he's a he's very much a promo he's solid enough in ring and he can give you mm-hmm. a, a solid 10 minute match like this but yeah i think he'd almost be better saved doing a getting a one-off uh backstage promo you know with sean mooney or, or something like that or getting to just cut a, a five minute promo in the ring and if you're trying to stall for time you could do that too with him couldn't you and just have him cut a, a big promo is that the way you want to start your show though mm, true true <laughs> no i mean like this, and get the crowd going this this could get the crowd up mm. while the people at home are sorting their streams out like we had the only issue we had was during this as well right at the start of it then it was going. Um, was it right at the end of the national anthem? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there was a tiny little problem at the start of the match, and then it came back, and it was fine for like, the rest of the night. So, yeah. yeah, good way to approach it. That's it. I think with me, it wasn't working, and then I turned it back on, and I got to see Matt Cross doing a, a silly dive to the outside and then winning with his handspring cutter shooting star press combo thing that he does. It was kind of cool just to get to, as much as I didn't get to see a lot of the match, just see... Matt Cross, M-Dog, get a moment like this. I saw people a bit disappointed that Josh Prohibition was nowhere to be seen, but still cool that, uh, again, you know, the the, the Young Bucks and Cody paying tribute to the, the different, like we said, melting pot, the different kinds of guys that maybe made a show like this possible. Uh, what did you make of the, the second match then? It was uh, Stephen Amell and Christopher Daniels, I suppose, as we go through the cards. Uh, Stephen Amell, is, he kind of, for me, had... I didn't go in with huge expectations. I kind of thought it was funny that he went in and he got the the first Bullet Club pop of the night, at least as far as the main joke goes, coming out in the Bullet Club gear and with the the Bullet Club song. I didn't have huge expectations for him, but he does kind of, it gave me, I said before about production, reminded me of WCW. Him wandering around like David Flair really helped that vibe for me. Almost, there were definitely bits in the match where he looked a little bit lost, but you can't fault him for effort and for, for willing to take, you know, some shame at man-esque bumps uh, that he took. Yeah, th- this one was, I mean, ultimately, it's as good as a celebrity match involving somebody who's, this is his third match ever is ever realistically going to be. Mm. And I think what maybe the crowd and all of us were willing was that it just wasn't absolutely horrific. <laughs> and it wasn't. It was passable. The two big spots are the two things you got to remember from this match. And they yeah. stuck in my head and that was it. Could have gone shorter. Mm. They could have, yes. it could have gone five, six minutes yeah. rather than 12 or whatever it was. It went, I didn't think there was any need for it to go beyond that. I didn't understand the thing with Jerry Lynn as the referee, but I suppose that was a nice way of yeah. giving a nod to someone else who this crowd consider a legend of indie wrestling. The from 
Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, very good. <laughs> no, that's what they called him, didn't they? On the intro, it worked. I wish I could take credit for that one, but yeah, it's kind of again another way of getting a guy like that on a show and get like a a nice little pop. Uh, it never quite worked out for him in Ring of Honor when they tried to make him the the equivalent of the wrestler. But nice to see him get a a, a moment. He wasn't the Red guy Man. for that role. No, he was not the guy for that role. I'll always we spoke about this at the time. Yeah, we spoke about this on Saturday, and we were watching it actually. <laughs> Talk about Jerry Lynn memories and. Yeah, he was not Mickey Rourke on any <laughs> level. Uh, it was, uh, I, kind of, yeah, I think there was probably better guys for that role. Maybe uh, he was a bit younger then, but Chris Daniels maybe at this age would be good for a role like that or something. Guys are a bit more broken down, though, because mm. like, Daniels still looks good mm. and still is good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas, and Jerry Lynn hadn't been around in that sort of high-profile position for a while. I, yeah, it's, hard, it's, it's a tough one. I don't know if there was anyone who would have been perfect at that stage of the game for it and it really affected them because they didn't put the belt on Tyler Black when they should have put it on him um, and then that affected him long term but we're not here to talk about 2009 <laughs> Ring of Honor are we? So. <laughs> That's it. I mean we could talk about Christopher Daniels and Ring of Honor but no it's, it's kind of it's crazy isn't it that, that Daniels is, is still around that he's still like you said, in the in the shape that he's in, and he's still able to. He's kind of a, a a safe pair of hands, isn't he? You got someone like a Stephen Amell. It makes sense to put him in there with the Crystal Christopher Daniels because he's like the the old constant of of indie wrestling, isn't he? He's always going to give you a solid match like this. And he, I think it was right as well that he went over too. It's still it's good it's good that they didn't go the the whole route and go the WWE route of having a celebrity on WrestleMania and uh, and putting the celebrity over. Yeah, that was one of the nice things is that clearly, I mean, I think a lot of the kind of positive fan reactions to this match was based on the fact that clearly Amel had got himself into really good shape, was trying really hard and is a fan. Mm. And I think that can be kind of recognised of saying, actually, he's doing as well as anybody could be realistically expected to do in that. Um, But it was right that it went that way. Also, a point... (laughs) I thought the table broke lovely. I don't know why I've got this down on my notes, but like the way that it smashed into three, because that initial spot when it had Daniels going across onto the table, went, oh God, that's that's awful. But the fact he moved out of the way and you can then go, oh, okay. So he's he just lured him in to dive onto the table off the top. Mm. Uh, so, but yeah, it was, it was fine. Yeah, that's it. I think that's it. It fit his role. It, on the card and yeah it gave something different and was probably as good as Amel was ever going to be um, and he's ever going to be really when he's got so many other things to uh, to concentrate on um, what did you make of the next one then uh, Britt Breaker Chelsea Green Tessa Blanchard and Madison Rain they, they went all out with, uh, with Tessa Blanchard Tully Blanchard and Magnum TA were there um, not that they were called out too much uh, on the commentary or giving too much attention on, on, on their entrance uh, but kind of cool again to do a bit of a link back to the past and I thought a, a really good uh, multi-woman match. Yeah, I thought it was perfectly solid. I think Tessa Blanchard was the absolute star here. Yeah. I thought they did a good job of giving Britt Baker Adam Cole's music because yeah. straight away it was recognisable as well and people got into that. Um, Tessa Blanchard's got something though, hasn't she? Like She really stood out more than any of the other three girls here, I thought. And mm. she's someone that you can really go, to, for lack of a better term, all in with uh <laughs> if you're promoting women's wrestling i think at this point in time because she's really put the effort in, in terms of her look in terms of how she kind of 
has something when she's there as well. Like she looked a level above everyone else at this, I thought. She's been looking like that in Impact as well, hasn't she, JP? She's kind of... I think yep. she gets a lot of criticism in certain circles, Tessa Blanchard, for some reason. I think it's maybe the heavy expectation on, you know, a, there were lots of rumours about her ended up in WWE and it just never happened for her for, for one reason or another. But I really do think, yeah, this year, especially in Impact, and she looked good here too, she's uh, putting it together. Yeah, she really has. I mean, it's, it's the way that she's being booked and the way that she's worked on her look. She looks like a killer. Mm. Um, I'm not saying like kind of Jazzy Gabba, who has more height than her, but the way that she should be booked from now on is like, it sounds like the female Walter mm. of somebody goes in there, like in terms of being dominant and not in terms of necessarily she wouldn't be able to have the kind of same level of matches, but somebody can go in as a believable sort of dominant force in the ring and she's got obviously the kind of historical things to to go back on as well and it was a nice touch having magnum t ta and and tully there as well um i thought chelsea green looked good look good at points in terms of a pa- character she kind of apart from the bit where she almost killed madison rain with that unpretty yes <laughs> which went a little bit wrong she did look good otherwise yeah. though yeah there was you know it, it was perfectly fun i also think as well though that if you looked at where women's independent wrestling is mm. it, it 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 there's not as deep a pool of talent mm. to obviously choose from and that's possibly one of the things that that kind of becomes evident that because it seems to me that any time there is any remotely halfway decent um woman talent they get snapped up by WWE. Yeah, They're but, in there straight away. Well, well, none of these lot were in the May Young Classic, were they? Uh, Madison Rain was. The current one? Yes. Yeah, she was. Because oh, okay. she, she's kind of oh, got that okay. weird stat, hasn't it, that she's been, I think, in Impact, ROH as well, WWE, all in. She's kind of been everywhere this year. Yeah. Was Britt Baker in it? I don't know. Couldn't Tessa tell. Blanchard was in last year's, because she yes. had my favourite match at last year's. Um, but, yeah, Diana Perazzo, she got snapped up, didn't she? She was meant to be on this yep. show. Um, so, yeah, I think it is a bit of a shame uh, that so many of them do seem to get snapped up so quickly. But it would be quite nice if a few of them, I don't know what happened with Tessa Blanchard, but maybe took the approach that she seems to be on at the moment, just trying to find her character, trying to work on her look um, and her style and kind of portray something a little bit different on the outside. Because, you know, if she was in WWE right now, I'm sure she'd be doing a cracking best friends gimmick or frenemies gimmick with Charlotte yeah. based around their dads or some shite. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad we're not seeing that. <laughs> yeah, let's just be glad she was here. But yeah, it was a, all, all in all a good match. The, the finish was a little bit weird with the kind of, it looked like the, I think Chelsea Green got pinned and one of the other girls were, were trying to make a save and maybe got there just a second too early. And the, the commentators seemed a little bit confused as well. So that put a bit of a downer on yeah. the match, but it got, over big time didn't it with the audience a couple of big um pops in there and big standing ovations so it did its job i was gonna say that was a that was really a note of the the fans all night um one of the things you hear about the first barely legal was it wouldn't fail because the fans wouldn't allow it to fail mm. and anything like that there wasn't going to be it was like almost like some of the the wrestling flan wrestling fan snarkiness that we can call have we can all have from time uh, time to time it was like 
that was kind of on hold. They appreciated the match. They knew that the, the finish had been kind of botched, but they were also happy with how the match went. So there wasn't this need to kind of... Um, Do you think that's because there was a positive vibe to yeah. it, though? And there wasn't that negativity that some other... Sh- that it's just naturally brought to some other shows, especially when you're feeling jaded and you're feeling frustrated by the promotion that you're watching. Whereas this, there was nothing to feel negative about, I didn't mm. think. So it's, everyone kind of invested in that positivity. Mm. I, I know I'm talking in progress positives and negatives <laughs> and I almost hate doing it, but they're just, they, there was just such a great vibe at the show. I felt uplifted throughout the whole show. It's, it's that all in it together. Not not to pardon the pun, like, but it's kind of that, that yeah. thing, isn't it, where the fans feel like the, the will in the show to be good rather than waiting for the moment to, to chance CM Punk or you know, boo the the baby face, which is kind of what WWE have brought on themselves. Was there a CM Punk chant in the whole show? I don't remember one. No. Yeah, it's amazing considering we're in Chicago you know as well. And that Cabana lawsuit probably helps as well, doesn't it? But that's interesting that yeah. it didn't happen once. Yeah, I can't think. I of was it. convinced that there was going to be a moment when Cabana was out there, but CM Punk's music was going to go off, <laughs> and he'd have the uh, like lawsuit papers in his hand, and he'd just rip them up and have a big <laughs> hug, and he'd get his checkbook out and just sign like however many dollars it is he he, he wants off him and it's all settled <laughs> that's all into that mate that's what they'll do next time maybe when it's all uh, <laughs> when all the dust is cleared on that stuff <laughs> didn't, didn't you say that they would have a match between them ladder match uh, was it a, yeah a ladder hang match. it up <laughs> hang the money up yeah, that's it. <laughs> the only way to settle oh, things in wrestling. That'll never happen. Like the Hardys and Edge and Christian with that bag of money at the top. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it could work. <laughs> Up next, then, we had the kind of the the big match of, I suppose, the first part of the show. And coming on earlier than I ever expected, Nick Aldis and Cody. And a match that just drives home everything that we've been saying about this show, about the being an accepting crowd about the being a crowd who were there for moments and there to see these wrestlers and, and to be part of something. I mean, I never in a million years thought that I'd be watching a match with Cody and Magnus and be so into the <laughs> Magnus and be so into the build and feel like this was, it felt like one of the, just one of the big matches in wrestling. They made the NW title feel big. They did an amazing job with the YouTube series and making Magnus seem like a, a champion who mattered. Again, Magnus, uh, just a work <laughs> of art. And I think this match is probably the, the most abiding memory I think anyone is going to have coming out of this show. And just maybe more the presentation and the, I don't know, the, the pomp and circumstance of it uh, as much as anything. That was one of the prevailing thoughts I had at the end of the of the show as time's gone on is the Cody Nickel this match. We were talking about it today at work and it's it's that match that stuck stuck with it. I think that's the match you've rewatched yourself. I've re-watched, rewatched a couple of them, yeah. yeah. But that was the first one I rewatched, yeah. Because I kind of it sounds strange, like I didn't almost believe that it was as good as what it was. Because I thought, you know, surely you get you get Cody who isn't necessarily known for kind of having sort of carrying people to, to great ma- matches. I, I wouldn't say carried. Oh, no, I wouldn't say carried. They both completely raised their game. I mean, Nichols was as good as he's ever going to be. And he's probably going to make, have a nice run off the back of this, which is, which is good for him. I would have to say whether or not I would go ahead and see those matches. <laughs> I'd need to have some verifiable proof that they were worth checking out. Yeah. I don't think I'd go that far. <laughs> But we were 
we were into this. And the fact that the crowd hated him and they were so into Cody, mm. which, I mean, if you're WWE and you're looking at that and you're thinking, there's someone who who has this connection with the crowd. All the things, the intangibles, including the, hi- the history that they like as well. All of these. And he's actually the person, and he being the person behind this. And there was so much gratitude towards him mm. for being part of this. And, and, you know, we've said you know, Cody matches that we've watched where he's been bored by and not cared and the shtick that with being the elite that they've done when they've come over to the UK, not enjoyed, not enjoyed that, but it kind of all went away during this. Mm. And by the end of the night, the NWA title meant more than the ring of honor title, which is bizarre. He's kind of a fascinating figure. I think Cody for me, because He's gotten over with very hardcore wrestling fans. I think he had a, a reputation in WWE as being, you know, not push the cruisers t- quite, but you know what I mean? Like the smaller-ish kind of guy who can work on the undercard, who never gets his just do, and then he comes out into the indies, and it's, like you said, it's not like he lights it up every night in indie-style matches, but I think that talks a lot about what the this match was. It was kind of like, I, I saw an interview with him in the books, uh, again, on that YouTube series they were doing um, with the NWA guys, where he was kind of saying his version of what wrestling should be is very different from what the books see. And you could see that in this match. You could see... This is what I suppose Cody Rhodes sees as wrestling. Although at the same time, he knows he's in there with Magnus, so there's a lot of bells and whistles and a couple of shortcuts and a bit of color as well to help too. But he knows the audience, and he kind of found a way to deliver his kind of match and and do it in a way that, like I say again, made Magnus interesting. I don't go I think I go as far as UJP. I think this is as good as Magnus is ever going to be in a match. Yeah. And I don't ever want to see him again. I think this is it. I'm done. Great. Saw him. He, he filled the role. He was the other guy in the match. Um, and he did his role absolutely fine. But for me, it was, it was a, a story of this is Cody Rhodes' chosen presentation of wrestling and just the fact that it works so well. And I don't think I've seen a person say a bad word about it live or, um, or on or watching it on the pay-per-view. Um, I think just says everything that he's made such a style work with a with a hardcore fan base. It's the culmination, really, like you say, of a difference in wrestling and between how him and the Bucks is. The culmination of his open-mindedness coming onto the indie scene, I think. Mm. He came out onto the indies with such an open mind, and he's made such an impact. Yeah, I don't obviously love him in the ring. I think he's fine. But at the same time, the presentation of this uh, was so rich in oh. wrestling history. It was steeped in, Those you know the tradition of what wrestling oh. is it was awesome i can't remember when was the last time a title match in the u.s was presented in a way that by sheer presentation gave the title prestige and made it matter and made it feel important you think about wwe and how those titles are just they're just props mm. at the end of the day aren't they he's taken the title hostage but when he comes back it you know not, not a lot happens it's just another title match the title match of wrestlemania got booed out of the building as an example 
they they've lost views on how titles can matter. Whereas Cody Rhodes is obviously completely invested in trying to make this mean something and trying to make this matter. It felt like a big time boxing match or a big time mm. MMA fight. Mm. It felt like something we never ever see in wrestling. Okay, we may occasionally get it in Japan because the IWGP title still means a lot, but this was Devin the end. Walter was. Yeah, I I had that vibe, but this was the NWA title. This title has been dead for. I'm I'm, that's TNA. I'm discounting that. (laughs) Come on, it was the TNA title. Should have left it on down the set on down the B seven, mate. I always thought that when they started NWA TNA. Oh yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Ken Shamrock as well had it for a bit, didn't he? (laughs) But yeah, this just was so good from the entrances. From when it went backstage, and I see um, DDP, like you know, giving Cody Rhodes a little massage. That's straight away. Me think, <laughs> Matching right, jackets. This is, this is yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. The dog. <laughs> it's kind of like yeah. It just it says everything, doesn't it? That yeah, the the fact that Cody kind of felt like it's kind of you know when you see like you see all the footage of like you say you've likened it to boxing and mma and it almost had an mm. old school wrestling vibe to it as well you know in coming out from yeah, the, but, the yeah. backstage area but having like almost an mma entourage in ddp glacier was there of all people tommy dreamer his oh. dog it just i almost had a tear in my eye you could see cody rhodes was almost on the verge of tears as well as he made his entrance i think that's what made this work as well cody's kind definitely. of definitely connection to to the nwa and to all that history as well just yeah unbelievable i will say as good a ring crew he had (laughs) and you've you've said about not wanting to watch nick aldis (laughs) but if he can go and have big matches with that exact ring crew that he came (laughs) out with being there alongside it i'll be up for watching it my favorite moment of this show When that camera cut backstage again and Jeff Jarrett came into shot, I was pissing myself. He, how did he manage to get his, himself on this fucking show? It's Jeff Jarrett. Jeff yes. Jarrett. And he, his head was down the whole time. Like, I don't know if he was trying to sell the importance NWA of it or what. Legend. But he also, yeah. had, he also had the poster boy of GWF, didn't he? Oh. Or GFW, I should say. Magnus was all over those shows, wasn't he? <laughs> and he ran in Kings Lid, the hometown of Magnus, if I remember rightly. <laughs> Hey, yeah, Sean Devaney there as well, you know, all the big stars. Samuel Shaw! Like, (laughs) Christy Hemi's stalker! Like, one of the worst storylines I've ever seen. That's the kind of shit you feel embarrassed to be arrested about. But it worked! Jeff Jarrett had the worst NWA title run I've ever seen in my life. Those shite TNA matches. Month after month, which ended a DQ or controversial circumstance, and that shite finisher he used to do, the Miz does way better. But this worked. Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting really hit up. But this was just awesome. <laughs> You're right, though, because like so good. They all fit a role as well, though, didn't they? I mean, Sean Devore, you might say, oh, why is he? Why is he there? Okay, yeah, he's making up the numbers, but he was there to take a diamond cutter from DDP, so it was fine. We got that moment as well. It didn't. It was kind of it came at the right place in the match. It gave everybody like a nice feel good pop as well and again another example of of using the legends well uh but yeah it did for some reason the fact that the likes of jeff jarrett and samuel shaw were out there just gave it that that extra gravitas and just made it more of a moment and made it feel like a a title match the likes we've not seen feel this big in a long time especially considering it's a like you said it's an nwa title match it felt important, but there was a sprinkling of humour as well. Mm. The dog, humorous. Glacier, humorous. 
Jeff Jarrett for me, fucking hilarious. Samuel, Samuel Shaw and his gloves and those fucking gloves. <laughs> hilarious so it was important but there was almost something to break the importance as well i don't know if that was intentional i hope it was <laughs> i think it just added to the enjoyment of it as well but yeah there was the serious stuff as well you know like i said Co- cody coming up bleeding you know with his bleached hair having blood through it and his you've got to wear white the gear. x sign before it as oh, well oh yeah. hebner getting oh. awkward oh god yeah. yeah he didn't really know what to, to say there did he when they put a microphone i've known you guys a long time <laughs> all he had to do is say i've gone through the instruct just do what herb dean would do on ufc <laughs> you in the back. do you want to shake hands <laughs> the 10 pounds of gold that's it he's no big john mccarthy as well no god he is <laughs> i think the, the other thing as well is like in that moment cody rhodes is this was the moment where i mean it was obvious already cody was going to be the biggest baby face in the building but it reminded me we've not seen him be this kind of sympathetic character before and when he was patting ale hebner on the back kind of going it's all right Hill, you'll be okay kind of just encouraging him to finish his little speech was for me, yeah, just seeing that and seeing that baby face that I had to Cody, it's easy to forget, isn't it? He hasn't really worked in this style, you know, and how long? Has he has he really ever been a, I suppose on his first bit of his indie run he was a bit of a baby face, but his strongest works come as a heel, so again, it said everything about the mm-hmm. connection to him and again how much he made this mean and how it felt real. I think that was a big thing. The, the great promo packages that the NWA put together were all about making this feel real and about it being a, a real thing that Cody wanted to live up to maybe the reputation of his dad and and wanted to be a champion and was almost on the verge of tears, you know, both coming out and in some of his promos. It, it just made Cody Rhodes, of all people, probably the biggest baby face in wrestling for, for one night. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think it also shows the respect that people have for him as well, and you know him and his dad's relationship is well documented as well. Mm. And I think the history that they managed to get across here, this is you know really kind of bedded in that rich history of the NWA with say his relationship with his dad. Mm. So people respect that. People, it's hard not to respect that. If anything, mm. Dusty Rhodes is someone who's been dead a few years, but. You know, he's still mentioned on WWE TV. Cody's very much kept his memory alive as well. So it's it was hard not to like him on this night. Mm. And Nick Aldis, I thought, did a decent job of just playing that role that he needed to play on this night. Mm. Um, he didn't do anything flashy. No. And everything that was kind of a big moment was, was kind of there to get Cody over, mm. if anything. And it worked. Mm. It was about... The challenger, not the champion. It was about the moment, wasn't it? It was about the the, the doing the Bretton Davy SummerSlam '92 finish and Cody winning and having that moment where they didn't quite hit play on the music quite yet. They just let Cody kind of sit there, and it was almost silent for a few seconds. No, I suppose silent from a music point of view, but let the moment kind of breathe and let the fan reaction say everything for the moment and magnus for his part if you don't have him there as the the big bad who needs to be beaten uh it doesn't work quite as well so yeah i'd, I'd definitely give us some credit there and i suppose his role in in making it such a moment and just making it something such a such a memorable image cody lying in the ring you know in tears holding the belt just it was everything wasn't it, it was pro wrestling it was the best of pro wrestling and they cut to a little shot of Brandy crying as well, which was quite sort of touching, you know, sort of his big moment or their big moment to some extent. I just thought it she was... She played a... her role really well in the match. Yeah, I actually yeah. liked the elbow spot. Mm. I know 
just because it was it felt like a, a classic wrestling spot mm. it really it felt like the kind of thing that dusty Rhodes would have put into a match at some point in the late 70s early 80s mm, definitely yeah one note i'll make about the entourage there were two people who were notable <laughs> by their absence for me one was a uh, hardcore holly cody Rhodes' first tag ah, partner that's a point, yeah. who he put who he played great tribute to with that awesome Alabama slam that he had to work to, that he didn't get first time, but when he got it, he really got it. And the other one was Gold Dust or Dustin Rhodes, of course. Yeah. And, you know, if another company... Uh, oh, I'm not going to go on another WWE well, round. I was actually, it was one of, one of the notes yeah, I wanted to... Yeah, it's a good time to, to come on to it. One of the yeah points I wanted to make is, is he was... Him and Daniel Bryan, as far as I've seen, and I could easily be wrong on this because I'm not going to check every... WWE affiliated personality on Twitter, mm. but they're the only two who's actually said anything about this show. There's a very kind of marked radio silence about it. Yeah, like the only person who kind of went, who talked a little bit about it was Seth Rollins, but that's because his training school was at Starcast. Yeah, they had a table there. So people is like, like a connection. I think I think Zach Ryder said something, but again, his girlfriend's on the show, and I think Mickey James yeah. said something. Obviously, being uh, is it married to Magnus as well? But you're right. I mean, as far as it, it did feel like uh, everyone on WWE payrolls Twitter went down for a, a few hours. Yeah, and it's an inter- and I don't think this is necessarily a directive that's coming out saying you cannot talk about this, but there's the acknowledgement that the powers that be aren't happy about this show mm. so mentioning it would put you in a bad negative light but which the, is childish but the wolves come out when uh dave Meltzer yes might say something that they can pile in on and you know orchestrated attack so shows uh where their mind is on this doesn't it what a what a lovely company <laughs> indeed uh, anything else on on aldous and cody uh or should we move on to the i was going to ask you to like, where does the NWA title go from here? Because they, there's a show that there's going to be on fight that they're doing at the Nashville Fairgrounds in, in late October. But with having Cody with the belt, mm. it doesn't seem like it's a company per se. It's just a traveling title that gets passed around. Have him use it in Ring of Honor. Yeah. That's the best place for it. Mm. Have him take it to New Japan. It'll be a better champion than Rob Conway because he's boosted the profile of it than, you know, the, like the Bruce Farp run yes. that they had where NWA were doing stuff in Japan. Big Daddy Yum Yum. Yeah. yeah. Like, this <laughs> we were is... looking on Twitter during it. This came up as a conversation. Yeah. Like the Big it? Daddy Yum Yum, Michael Tarver, NWA <laughs> title, and Rob Conway is over now. This is a title that's got a bit of prestige in Japan as well. So keep it on Cody and see what you can do with it as kind of a traveling title. You could build to NWA champion versus ROH champion at some point down the yeah. line as well. I'd love to see him give, after the whole Marty Scale heavyweight stuff, I'd love to see him give Marty Scale the ROH title. Could you build to a natural match of Cody versus Marty, Bullet Club versus Bullet Club, NWA versus Ring of Honor down the line? <laughs> to me, that would be a great match for All In 2, potentially. Definitely, yeah. There's plenty of things you can do, and I think that's, for the NWA, they've just almost looked out, haven't they, that Cody has this connect they're trying to rebuild this nwa brand and he's just the perfect like you said the perfect person to have defend in segments like that whether it be ring of honor whether it be new japan or whether it be you know reminding you of the history of the nwa and the fact that he is a traveling champion because you know for all the the indie promotions that are paying him tens of thousands to do one shot he's gonna be charging a little bit more to bring the nwa belt as well and maybe do a defense 
Uh, I can't think of a better candidate. So, yeah, if you'd have asked me six months ago when everyone was raving about Tim Storm, whether the NWA title was ever going to be rehabilitated, I probably would have said no. But I think Cody here is their, their best shot, isn't he? It it really is. Um, it's it's the most logical thing to do. I wonder it, it, because in the time, I mean, Joe said it was dead, and the part of the reason it was dead was that anyone who's involved in the NWA was kind of incredibly immature mm. about their attitude towards other companies and the status of the title. They didn't realise that it didn't have any meaning whatsoever. They needed to be drastically rehabilitated, mm. and. Billy Corgan's managed to do that and has done it in a way that's kind of said, yeah, this is the title being defended on this particular show. And it's just, it's a, it's a very long process and we're a long way away from really the NWA having a lot of, a lot of meaning, but this is as good as they're going to get at this point in time, having Cody with the belt. Definitely. Uh, moving on then the, the next match, uh, the hits kept coming. Uh, maybe the reason Cody and Aldis wanted to be, so early on in the card is to kind of i don't know maybe not be among the the big move matches or the crazy matches but as far as crazy matches go one of the the craziest matches of the the night came up next joey janela and and adam page janela is someone who for me absolutely deserved being on this stage uh the fact that he I think the Joey Janela lost in New York, and uh, the, the, you know, the the GCW branded shows that he's been doing, and maybe the the closest comparison I can think of on the Indies to to what All In is. So it's nice that they gave him a role, and yeah, he came out here in a match with Adam Page that could have easily been forgotten because of the overarching Joey Ryan story, but they put together something really, really memorable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this was. This was so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it, even with the video package at the start explaining the whole Joey Ryan story, um, the way that um, Janella came out, like, I mean, it's, it's like some of the stuff, the music, the music not being changed around. Mm-hmm. So he comes out to his great theme music. I don't as know well. if it was it, though. It sounded like a knockoff. It, it sounded like Kavinsky. Slight knock with just with an extended intro. It sound, to me, it sounded like almost like, you know, when WCW used to just reverse some of the, the parts of the song oh, and like DDP's Nirvana rip off, right? Yeah. Because it was kind of the like. Smell like- yeah. Most of the people on the night kind of had um, TNA and ROH themes and New Japan themes and the indie guys. I, I thought was a question what kind of music they'd use. But if it was a Kavinsky knockoff, it was a really good knockoff. But maybe you're right. Maybe it was a, just a different version of the song. Yeah, it was. I, I, so I was kind of excited by the time both of them came out. We've watched Adam um, Page all over the G1 mm. and he has real credibility now not only as a personality through being the elite but in terms of his wrestling mm. he's he's having regularly very good matches he's he's very athletic um he's got the look he works at, at like a real cracking pace as well he isn't like i don't know you would kind of almost expect looking at him that there'll be lots of kind of he's explosive rest holds and things like that but he doesn't actually do that he is like you say he's explosive uh, we're not in wwe with agents yeah. going rest hold work slow rest hold yeah. work slow no throw it in throw it in sell a bit sorry another excuse to forget those bastards <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for me this match really evidenced what a great job the young bucks 
and Cody have done on being the elite at finding sponsors. So for years, we've heard them talk about Cracker Barrel. <laughs> we've heard Scott Steiner and Petey Williams talk about the Cracker Barrel. Lance Storm talk about how much he loves the Cracker Barrel. It's like in wrestling folklore along with the Waffle House, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And here we got a literal Cracker Barrel <laughs> that was yeah. used in the match. Like In terms of being able to get sponsors... And for Cracker Barrel to get that moment as well. Like, tell you what, Cracker Barrel is like old time American country cooking. Food I've got no interest in. Next time I come across a Cracker Barrel, I'm in a Cracker Barrel. Yeah. As a result of this match, <laughs> they've got my money. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that Donkey Kong spot was oh. was incredible. Like I say, it's just a great way of plugging it. That's, but that was a great, great spot. A memorable gif, isn't it? It's just perfect and a good way to yeah, to, to have them and TJ Fridays, they were the real winners of uh of this week was it tj fridays was that the other it was it is yeah yeah they're the real winners of this getting that getting all that publicity and you mentioned like that cracker barrel spot as well the fact that i think that the big strength for me about this match as well as the way they they paced it and the way it was timed and the way that the crowd reacted to the big spots was for me the way they almost jump back and forth between you get those comedy donkey kong spots and then you kind of get a moment of Joey Janela dying through a load of tables or, oh. you know, just getting powerbombed off the stage through that table, which was it barely kind of went. There was two tables there and he went through about a quarter of one. Joey Janela's really got a death wish. I just, I don't think we deserve him. Yeah. He, he's willing to kill himself to, to get over and to, and to, you know, get these big moments on, on big cards like this. Uh, but the fact that they could go from that and then switch back to doing maybe a bit more wackiness with Penelope jumping in the ring as well. and She was good. She was she great, was wasn't she, for a spot with the kind yeah. of Matrix backflips and, and things like that. The fact that they could sw- switch between the two, for me, was just, it was, a, it was, it was just artistry. And just, uh, for me, <laughs> maybe my favourite match of the night, although Cody and Magnus was the better moment. Um, but as far as the match goes, I love this thing. It was the craziest match of a night, that's for sure. Yeah. So you had the most serious match of a night, and then you kind of had, up to this point, it was the most tongue-in-cheek match of a night, mm. but it was still brutal. Yeah. <laughs> Burning hammer onto those ladders. Like, oh. I'll say one thing, it looked ridiculous. I just wish the burning hammer was a bit more protected because that move is special. Mm. Um, but that's a conversation for another time, I suppose. Yeah. But also that end, that rite of passage oh, that he God. took. Oh, Oh my god, that looked just oh! I, I found that hard to watch. <laughs> yeah, it was nuts, wasn't it? And it was kind of—I think it looked like he protected them a little. He kind of turned his body, didn't he, as he, as he was doing it? But again, Joey Janela's just willing to go head first through a, a table like that with limited protection to get it over. Just yeah, he's not going to be—he might not be around a long time if he keeps doing stuff like this. But yeah, he's just willing to do anything, isn't he? Doing whatever it takes. Well, can you imagine a match between him and Darby Allen where there's real serious consequences involved? Like, that would be genuinely terrifying. (laughs) I was going to make a note on Darby Allen. Would have been good to see someone like him in the Battle Royal. But did you know that in terms of guys, the only guy who's been working WWN Mm. shows where Volve that was on it was Janela. He's only recently started on their shows. So I I don't know if he's under contract there or not. But no one else from that kind of area on here at all. No one from Evolve? No, but I'm wondering whether they've got contracts with Evolve. Whereas, say, Shane Strickland, something like that, wasn't here. Uh, A few of the other guys as well that you think might have been here. So, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it. I think think it's maybe part of the, the WWE thing as well, the fact that Evolve have kind of got... 
that sleeper relationship, haven't they, with WWE as well? I don't know whether that plays into it, or maybe it's just the fact the circles that the the Bucks and Cody travel in. I mean, for me, the the big miss here was the fact that, as far as big indie guys go, Walter wasn't on here, or David Starr was someone who I thought was was missing a little bit. But maybe a, a big part of WXW got... had a big weekend of shows this week. True, yeah, maybe they tried. David Starr was facing Jern Simmons in a was it a last man standing match? I think. Yeah, uh, right. Maybe he was on the list somewhere and they tried, but yeah, it does feel like maybe the Cody and that have got their circle they travel with and evolve. Flash WWN is is obviously not a, an area that they they usually work. It's interesting as well, though, because if you look at promoters, I haven't seen Gabe Sapolsky say anything about All In. I've not seen the Progress guys say anything I think Glenn Joseph about has. All In. Glenn Joseph did a little oh, bit, is he? Of, bit of like, I think he took a, a photo of himself. See, I feel like I'm stalking Glenn Joseph here, but I, I do remember <laughs> seeing something about him watching the show. But you're right, no, no, you're not seeing a lot of... My CW? Uh, Mark Dallas would have been out drinking, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but also I imagine as well, if Evolve did have many guys on this show, they would be angry. Mm. There would be a there would be a comeback. Like Velveteen Dream wouldn't be doing that show that he's doing upcoming. Um, that type. So, yeah. But anyway, I mean, back to the show. What did you make <laughs> of the, the Joey Ryan stuff, I suppose, if we're going to talk the match? I mean, the, the other thing was... Uh, yes. That was kind of throughout the match. They had the little throwbacks, didn't they, with the 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 boots and the and using the phone as a weapon. All things that kind of, if you don't watch being the elite, look a little bit out of place. As much as the commentary team did the best to to bring attention to it, but yeah, a lot of it was about that big Joey Ryan angle after the match. Uh, what did you make of that scene? I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was. I think it's one of the points you. Well, you were going to say about about what this is a parody of. Oh yeah, it felt like a the sh- this especially a lot of the show felt like it was a parody of WrestleMania. Dick Druids, yeah. so, like parodying Druids, uh, you know the fluids. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, even like the national anthem, the battle royal beforehand, there were like little nods of like, well, we really like big shows like WrestleMania. Let's subvert some of the stuff they do at say a WrestleMania and put our own spin on it and yeah. that's part part of the humor is based around that really isn't it yeah. which is which is cool because we're all so aware of what they're doing mm. and it was a rewarding end to a story they've been doing for months mm. like, like and it was always going to be completely silly because it was like how they how would they bring back joey ryan after saying he was dead and then when he went to the video and he had his <laughs> I think it was described with the commentators as his morning glory and then sort of cut the fluids came out and then Joey Ryan came out and it, it worked well. And I imagine from there on in, it kind of is one of the few things that, you know, is likely to be going ahead as a result um, in the future for being the elite after the show mm. of, of having Joey Ryan um, hangman page. And if nothing else, there'll be fun. There'll be fun matches. There you go. And that's it. And at the end, I think I thought that they could even go as far as not having Joey Ryan on this show and saving it for an all-in too, but they had to do it, didn't they, for the, for the big moment. It, you did just, yeah. I, I think part of me thought maybe they'd do something on being the elite and they'd have 
Joey Ryan come back from the dead there and then have a match here. But it made so much more sense to do the moment, didn't it? And like you say, it was a reward for the fans of that. And as ludicrous as the whole thing sounds when you when you describe it uh, as a segment on a show like this, it, it couldn't have worked any better. Yeah, and as we've said, it, you know, variety, mm. polar opposite from the match that had gone on beforehand, gave the fans a really sort of wild ride of a match with a great comedic moment after being taken to kind of emotional heights in, in the match before. And it's those kind of ups and downs that if you really think about a show and clearly they had sort of, they knew what they were doing within an inch of their life on this show, yeah. apart from timekeeping, um, that they've, that they managed to, to get, um, you know, moments like this that were completely over with the crowd. Definitely. Uh, I suppose next up, you, you said ups and downs there. A bit of a down for me on the card. Black Machismo and Flip. Uh, I like... I, I mean, they needed to put Flip Gordon on the main card, so you need him there. I was going into the show going, do you really need Jay Lethal? Um, people enjoy the, the Black Machismo stuff, the Savage Liz <coughs> spots are all fun stuff, uh, but it was kind of... I was watching it going, I, did, I didn't really need to see a a Jay Lethal match on this card. I don't know, did, uh, did your mileage uh, vary at all or was maybe I just getting a bit grumpy as the uh, the night got later? No, I felt exactly the same. I'm not a Randy Savage fan. I think he's the most overrated wrestler of all time. I just Ooh, don't get it. That's a conversation we should have at some point. Uh, oh, I just find his work so light. Oh, I no. find him annoying. Oh, no. His WCW run is fucking awful. Yeah, he took yeah, like, like, this on Saturday find, as well. Find me a good match in WCW that he had. Maybe one of the DDP matches. That's yeah. a good few, to yeah, be fair. Yeah, that was great. But, he was pushing 50 at that point as well, wasn't he? True. No, the feud was good, and there was one match that was good. But yeah, uh, yeah I think it was. Yeah, maybe. Um, but I'm I'm not a Randy Savage fan at all. Um, but I get why people like him, and I get why people like the Black Machismo mm-hmm. stuff. And Jay Lethal does it well. The Lanny Poffo stuff was, I suppose, another kind of cool thing to show. Okay, that you know we respect the history of wrestling and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was the match for Flip Gordon. Mm. Um, I thought Flip Gordon should have had a hotter uh, match on this night. I thought a nice eight-minute sprint would have been nice where Flip almost wins the belt um, or Flip wins the belt in a big upset on a big night, potentially. I thought you could have made him by giving him the belt on this night in a kind of a surprise upset win. Mm. So, yeah, it was a bit of a letdown, this one, really. It was the weakest match on the card, I thought. I'm not... A- really a very big G- Jay Lethal fa- fan. He's fine, but I never find myself really enthused. This is probably as much, and it's a lot to do with the crowd and their reaction to it, that I've kind of been into a Jay Lethal match necessarily. I'm probably not as down on it as as you guys are. Mm. I was, I thought it was it was fine for, for what it was. I did, the thought I had afterwards was actually like the Ring of Honor world title compared to um, how the NWA title was presented is is a concern, considering you know you think where rigor on a status is at the moment. That's a situation they really need to get sorted out. Mm. Like Jay Lethal as your champion isn't something that necessarily spells a company that's kind of moving to the next level, does it? Yeah, I think like I said, I think they could have given it a lot of credibility yeah. by having Flip of a surprise win. Flip holds it as an uh, you know an underdog babyface champion for a little bit and loses it to say Yeah, him and Bully. 
as, as, a, yeah, as a few yeah, to as do the first so. few that he wins, but then maybe get put on Marty. I think Marty's yeah. been ready for that Ring of Honor title for quite a while. Um, and he's a much more notable and hotter guy at the end of the day than Jay Lethal is. He's got B in the Elite where he can promote it. He's got New Japan where he's got regular bookings where he can promote it as well. Um, he's also under contract for another year longer than yeah, everybody else. Yeah, it makes complete sense. Um, yeah, I thought the Ring of Honor title was a little bit wasted as a result of this when they had an opportunity. Um, the NWA made the most opportunity. I don't know who was laying out the match, who was booking the match, but yeah, Ring of Honor... Um, um, didn't didn't have the best night here. No, definitely not. I think yeah, if you if you were champions doing comedy in a macho man gimmick, I don't mind one or the other, but it, it just doesn't work together. Um, and again, yeah, I kind of get putting Black Bejesus on the card, and I get wanting to get Flipboard on the card, but it just seemed like a a bad combo uh, altogether. <clears throat> Next up, then we had. Uh, Probably the match that a lot of people would have expected to to be the main event, and I know I did going in. Uh, Kenny Omega and Pentagon Junior, or Penta L Zero, I think is what they called them on this show. Uh, it's hard to keep track, isn't oh. it? The the AAA legal uh, deals and the the problems he goes through in uh, in being called twenty seven different things in all different promotions. But yeah, this was for me the big singles match. This was the one that. I was most hyped for, at least as far as an aim ring perspective goes. It was very much a dream match. We talked earlier about maybe the being an elite guys traveling in different circles and Pentagon and, and Kenny Omega are two people who uh, have been hot this last year or so, but people who, who just, yeah, why would they cross paths? There isn't really an avenue for it to happen. And yeah, this was, this was the show to do it. And all in all, uh, I thought they delivered. Don't know about you guys. My favourite match of the show. Um, I think it says a lot about the show because I've heard lots of different uh, people have different mm. favourite matches on the show. It doesn't seem to be a consensus opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and this for me was everything I love about wrestling. Um, I love work rate matches. I love the effort and the thought Kenny Omega puts into his matches. And I thought this wouldn't have been a miss in a New Japan ring, if really. Um I thought it was really good fun. I thought they meshed much more than I thought they were going to. I was a little bit worried at the beginning um, about how much their styles were actually going to actually, uh, mesh with one another. And there was chemistry. It worked. Pentagon is really good. Um, he's a guy who can work a variety of different styles as well. You think of the hateful brawl he had with Sammy Callahan. Everything a hateful brawl should be, and then this was your indie dream match, and he didn't, and he did himself a lot of favors here. I thought uh, this was the match that I was hottest for in terms of investment in um, like the spots. I thought some of the spots that they threw into the match were great. I liked some of the storytelling in the match as well. There were some sick bumps in there as well a couple of the head spots could have done without that package pile drive on oh, the apron oh my God. whenever i see pentagon do that i i hate i hate it yeah it looks amazing but i hate it and it looked like a mega land on his head but then it looked like he gave him one back later on when he did that package yeah. pile driver bomb like maneuver where he landed where pentagon landed on his head so <laughs> it looked like there was you know one all in the head bumps on this one it kind of the and, reactions didn't they as big spots but you probably could have easily just substituted the film for something else, especially that April one. Yeah, to quote Wu Tang again, protect your neck, please protect your neck. <laughs> Are you going to make me use Wu Tang and... as the intro music again, here, Joe? 
please do always (laughs) and yeah but other than that it was a really really great match i did like that omega won clean as well as the iwgp champion he should be winning this clean Mm -hmm. um and it was a very clean win but everything that came before it had me glued to the screen Mm -hmm. i was really invested in this one there was some really really great stuff here i think i need to see this one again I mean, I, I at the time really liked, uh, really liked it. I thought at, at first it perhaps started off a bit slower, but um, the way you're talking about it makes me think, God, I need to see this again. Like I, I feel like there's there's it stuff was getting late, JP. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you know, at that point, you're talking what it would be near three in the morning. <laughs> so it was like we we were we were tired at that <clears throat> at that point. Um, and you gets shit for not selling as well. And when I was watching this again, he was selling. He sold his leg reasonably well at points. He also, when Pentagon did the arm breaker spot, mm. people were giving him shit for not selling the arm afterwards. He does sell it. He sells it, he delays the final pin, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and when he sets it up for the one-winged angel, he sets it up in a different way where he's not using that arm. And it's quite, he sort of gets him in like a fireman's carry a different way mm. to set it up mm. as well, which I thought was a nice touch because it showed respect for that arm breaker move as well. Yeah, this for me, this sort of match is always going to get me. Definitely. Yeah, I think with Omega, it's kind of, I've made the point on our podcast a million times with him. It's kind of, for me, his selling is more realistic because he, he acts like he's in a real sporting contest. And in a real sporting contest, why would you walk around like your leg was falling off? You'd surely, if you're in an MMA, MMA fight, you'd still be mm-hmm. trying to keep in the fight. And you, you know, you, you'd not be, you'd almost not want your opponent to know that you were hitting at every point. So I don't mind that he zones in and out of the selling, which is kind of the critique people have given him because really i think he doesn't so much do that it's just more a case of uh he's doing it in a more uh, sporting way um you picked up there though as well joe about Pent- pentagon and the fact that he can work these these different styles and i agree to that point but one thing i've kind of noticed with him recently maybe it's the fact that i've seen so much of him and maybe that's a problem with someone like him he has got his spots that he likes to go back to you know his zero miedo stuff that he does a million times a match and like you said the package power drivers and stuff and a lot of his i don't know his party tricks they're great for a, a touring wrestler but i think maybe it's i don't know if jp would agree watching impact every week and seeing him have great matches every week almost like i'm seeing too much of him and too much of his big spots that work in all the different places he works but if you're seeing him doing it every week i don't know if the how he's a special wrestler but maybe that i don't know falls off a little bit when you see too much of it and too much of them going back to the, to those big spots. I mean, it's a great problem to have, uh, the fact that I can see Pentagon everywhere. But I don't know, do you, do you feel that way at all, JP? Or can you not get enough of it? But maybe does that go anywhere I, to explain you? Maybe not 100% being on board with Joe and the, the high praise of the match? Possibly. That might be much more of a sort of subconscious reason as to why, of maybe that there is a kind of overexposure with him. Um, I would say... Generally, though, I'm struggling to think of matches I've seen him in that have been bad, or that's true. You know, that's that. There is a kind of level of consistency that that you get with him, and also one of the things he hasn't done in, I mean, he did it in like the first series of Lucha Underground is kind of a heel run. So we've had this Penta arm breaker killer character now for. For a while, and 
it would have felt like if you going kind of in with a big indie influence, it would have. I, I think he kind of would have needed to have been there. I, I can see your point, though. There is the danger of him being overexposed, mm. but ultimately, within the context of this of this match and him being in this match with Kenny, it was kind of felt like what All In part of what All In was about mm. was having the dream matches and then being able to deliver on it, and it wasn't something that. You knew that Kenny was going to win, but I tell you what, when he, I think was it the second package pile driver, really thought that he was going to win it, which is nuts. Yeah, there's no way I should have been thinking that. It should have been a foregone conclusion, and and that might well have affected it. But I was I was fine with that at the time. But I'm I'm going to go back and watch it, which again is a testament to how good the show is. That going back and watching bits of this again, it doesn't feel like it's a chore. Like I'm, I'm going to get something different from it. Something a bit more every time I go back to it. It's different for myself. Cause I'm not watching impact regularly. Mm-hmm. So I've, I can't think of any other matches I've seen with Pentagon this year outside of that savvy Callahan match. I might've seen one or two others here or there that aren't coming to the top of my head. But mm-hmm. for me, he's almost like a special attraction wrestler who I do see a few times a year. I usually see him if I watch some PWG, but I've not watched some PW, any PWG since Bowler. I've seen him live a few times. I don't think I've seen him live this year, though. So he is a kind of wrestler that I get to see on special occasions. So maybe that kind of protects him for me, maybe. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the best way i don't know the pentagon can be presented as that special attraction and maybe for my complaint and the fact that uh, you know we kind of almost stumbled on something there the fact that he's here on all in okay maybe i see him a lot on the shows that i watch but the all in audience the roh audience the new japan audience might not have seen much of him at all so even even if i might be thinking that i've been exposed to a lot of him being on this card meant that he got exposed to maybe a lot more people as well. And yeah, I definitely wouldn't take it away from him as a, as one of the special workers and one of the best workers of of the last two years. Um, he certainly looks uh, better in the outfit than, than Jericho did. I mean, that was another point of the, of the <laughs> night that uh, I, I suppose a nice big surprise that we got with Chris Jericho. Uh, when the lights went out, I don't know what you guys were expecting. I don't know if you expect, I kind of thought, oh, maybe this is the CM Punk moment or, Maybe this is the Neville moment, um, but I think they, they, it was still a really nice surprise to see Jericho there uh, under the Pentagon garb. Someone who Jericho had said in the past that he didn't want to do anything on U.S. soil to, to piss off Vince. It does feel like we're taking more and more baby steps in that direction. Surely he'd be on a an all into. Oh, I hope so. Uh, I, I thought he was hinting at this in interviews that he'd done recently, <clears throat> and I'm so glad he's finally broken his. I'm going to work nowhere else in the US other than WWE because of Vince. Mm. Fuck Vince. The guy's an old sociopath who needs to fuck off, let's be honest. And I think <laughs> I hope Chris Jericho is uh, taking that on board. Uh, I, I got the impression with Jericho that he was he's always been very careful with how he speaks about Vince McMahon. So he's always sort of said about what a genius promoter Vince is, how he's loyal to Vince and all the rest of it. Jericho's clearly one of Meltzer's sources and has been for years. You know that Jericho thinks Vince is insane. He knows he's a nutter, and he knows that he's done a really bad job of promoting rest in the last few years. He almost makes it a little bit obvious when he praises Vince, and I love Chris Jericho. I think he's the most underrated wrestler of all time. How he's not mentioned 
in line with the greats of this profession at times. I don't know. He is an absolute genius when it comes to reinventing himself, staying relevant, having his finger on the pulse and finding ways to get himself over, but also to get others over at the same time. Think of the job he's done over the years in reviving Shawn Michaels' career, keeping him relevant for longer, for making the big show the strongest he's possibly ever been in WWE as well. This man is a genius, and he's made the best move he could possibly make by getting in with these guys, the elite, the young bucks, or the rest of it, what a man what a man and this was a great moment for me this wasn't about jericho hitting a code breaker on kenny omega and further an angle it was about chris jericho being in a non-wwe show in the u.s this was a kind of stamp this was almost like a not so much a fuck you moment but uh yeah the industry's changing and this is where i'm going to be because i'm going to be relevant and i want to be hot and i can be more relevant and hot here around these guys with their finger on the pulse mm. rather than working for some old sociopath who's well past his years and needs to go and promote a shit version of american football couldn't put it better myself yeah he's yeah jericho's got his finger on the pulse hasn't he jp he's just like like joe said yeah. there he's i think he he knows where his bread is buttered he's aware of you know what the the hot product is he knows from working in new japan and he wants to be seen as at the forefront of of maybe there's this this indie wrestling revolution going on and he gets to be you know the old guy um who can still go as well uh but he gets to be the veteran who who's involved as well i think it's a it's a shrewd move on his part and uh, I can't imagine there's much going back to the WWE at this point for him. Absolutely. And he also got to plug the cruise <laughs> that he was doing. He's like, he doesn't miss a beat. Mm. And he, I, I don't know at this point, he's, and I never get bored of it, the idea of him wearing a mask to sneak attack someone now <laughs> does the makeup. add oh my like God. a nice little... Yeah, it was great. Because as soon as it came up, I mean, I have to say, of the, of whether or not him or never, I was I was thinking it was I was thinking is it punk? Yeah, we was, all were, of and none of us said. Yeah, but it was we like, were all just sort of like, what's going on here? What's yeah. going on? And yeah. it's like, who is it? And you're thinking, okay, is it punk? Is it Neville? I I didn't think Jericho because of what no Jericho what he, didn't come into my head. I no. did think he was going to turn up, but he hadn't been in my head for like the whole show. Yeah. Weirdly, like, but it makes sense mind. in hindsight looking back. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah. Um, and. The way, yeah, the way that he does it, um, the way that the the crowds reacted to it, especially when he hit the first code breaker, um, because when he hit that um, like forearm smash, oh, as well, it, was it was kind a- of like ah, there's that's Jericho, that's a Jericho <laughs> move right there. Yeah. I think one of the things as well is it feels to me like all of this stuff on Chris Jericho's part is very carefully plotted. Mm. He's really thought about how he's going to pick his spots, about where he's going to turn up, about how he's going to do it, about who he wants to face. I think this is, yeah, I'm going to wrestle at MSG. He's done this. He's made his appearance as of the U S there's nothing holding him back. Now I hope we get a massive Chris Jericho singles match outside of a WWE on WrestleMania weekend where he'll be more relevant than anyone on the whole of WrestleMania that weekend. Mm. 
definitely. And that's where he can have the most impact, isn't it? That's where he can do the most good. Um, and yeah, you've got to imagine that he's he's someone who sees it that way as well. And yeah, hopefully he can uh, he can give back and and also be part of the, the cool thing because yeah, there's there's definitely matches to do, and yeah, he could be a, a big factor in, like you said, uh, WrestleMania weekend for ROH or potential sequels to All In as well. To have Jericho around, even if he is picking his spots and not doing a lot of bookings, I think could be uh, yeah. yeah really important for uh, for US and, uh, and worldwide indie wrestling. His matches are special. Mm. They're, they're, like, they're now special events, things that you that you build up to, mm. that you get excited about as a fan and that you want to see. And if he goes back to WWE, he will be treated as a nostalgia act and it will be Jericho-holics, all the kind of things that we've seen before. He'll come out with the list and with the scarf and and I like this stuff. It's not that <laughs> he's very he good makes at doing the it. best out of all of these yeah, situations. Yeah, yeah. But I, I often wonder whether or not some of this has all been led by the way that the Jericho Owens feud, which has been built up so well, yeah, the way it was that, treated. And then they had that shite match at WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was put in the the slot to be. I am I'm actually you know kind of thinking it was the Vince's reaction. It to, can't be above that spot in the card. That's it's Chris Jericho and a fat guy, which is he's which, old. Which is the thing with all of of his uh you know him getting involved in it is that there's consequences to it yeah yeah it leads behind the action it's layered yeah it leads somewhere do you remember the last time wrestlemania was in new york so wrestlemania in new york this year do you remember what chris jericho did at that wrestlemania he could not tell you he lost a fandango (laughs) and this time five or six years later he could be facing Kenny Omega. He could be facing Naito, Tanahashi, Okada. Like, <laughs> yeah, this th- that man is switched on, and he wasn't. I remember he was not happy about facing Fandango over time, and you could hear it in the tone of how he spoke in his interviews. And he was trying to get the best out of a bad situation, but he knew that he'd come back, and, and he wasn't going to have this, have his best run necessarily because he was in there having to put over some guy that was, you know, Vince's project for a month until he got bored and did he get bored yes he got bored <laughs> and did i predict him getting bored before when he started pushing fandango absolutely because that man has no attention span and is a fucking mentalist <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on then we've got a the match that i suppose split uh people kind of down the middle whereas i at least on the night, it felt like it did, Okada and Marty Scale. Whereas since the show, I've seen a lot of negativity. I think it's to do with the fact that it went long and it was a big part of the reason that the main event that we're going to get into in a minute had a lot of time cut. I don't know where you land on this because, Joe, I know you're a big Marty fan. Um, I, I don't, he's gotten so over with the shtick. I do wonder how many people want to see serious marty as opposed to the amount of people who want to see him doing the shtick at this point because this was serious marty and it was very much to be honest it was more an okada match than anything but honestly i found this really really boring uh at least until the last five or ten minutes maybe five minutes when it got to the the finisher counters with scale having about 27 different counters to the rainmaker from a finger break to a chicken wing to a brawly spot i enjoyed all that stuff but i really did find the first 15 to to 20 minutes hard going maybe it was the long show maybe i shouldn't count out marty scale as 
you know, as a serious wrestler, because he has had, you know, he's had great matches with Osprey, you know, not that long ago. He's He can still go. It's just, yeah, I don't know. In this spot, it just didn't work for me at all. I've not been a massive Marty fan the last 18 months like I was. Since Shtick Central started, like, mm. I'm not as, in like, kind of into him, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, he can still go. He can still have good matches when he wants to have good matches. I thought he was great during the best of the Super Juniors this year where he was having serious matches. Mm. And he had some really good matches throughout that tournament where I felt people kind of slept on a little bit. I think in this country, there's a real kind of easy approach. You're just having a go at him and criticising him. He's cool to criticise in British indie wrestling circles. Um, And I've always tried to kind of look above that because he's an easy person to criticise, if anything. And he's still a good wrestler. Um, This match, I thought, was fine. I thought it was decent. I thought it was too long. Uh, The last 10 minutes were great, Mm. but it didn't need 26 minutes. Um, It took a while to get going. I didn't mind the storyline. I appreciate that Marty's over with this crowd as well. And I get why the shtick stuff's over. It's not for me, but I get why people kind of invest in it if anything good good last 10 minutes wish they didn't take so much time that's all i say on that one yeah i think that's fair to be honest it's kind of like it shouldn't have been after omega and pentagon either i think that was the other problem no, for it it's it kind of sandwiched in a bad spot wasn't it jp yeah it was i mean if we're thinking of uh, i mean obviously it's a notable show it's a show that that we all like but it wasn't perfect and this is kind of the example of it where you've got the Akada character as it is with the music, which doesn't really do anything for me. Although I like the, the, the use of the Akada dollars. That's, mm. that's yeah, he's kind of back to being Rainmaker quite a bit here, wasn't he? He had the, the dollars back. Yeah. At least he had his jacket back. So a sign that since the G1, he's, uh, he's coming back to being the Rainmaker. That's it. I mean, but on a, on a stage like this, imagine sort of a serious Akada versus a serious marty would have been something i think i naturally would have been a bit more up for but instead there's still the akada storyline going on marty hasn't been as as serious there was also the bit at the beginning which seemed to be the 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 comedy that he did with the it's the being an elite sketch of the snarky fans sticking their fingers in his face and him and him breaking them. I didn't think Okada was working the gimmick that he's been working as much as he was in G1. I thought no, 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 it's, it's, it's a bit. Yeah. It is a bit more. It is a. It is a bit more toned down. And I think yeah, you got the the jacket and the Okada dollars as possibly where it's going to go here. Um, I, I think where Marty is at the moment, the way that he's set up, how he works, is fine for upper mid card. I think you can get away with that. But if we're talking about him going on to being Ring of Honor champion, being someone who is going to be taken as much more of a threat, depending on where people go as well and what his position is going to be in, considering his contract isn't up at the same time as other people, you know, there comes a point where he's going to need to stop pulling out some of those killer matches again. Because this stuff gets can get dull quite quickly. And I know that this was certainly a step in the right direction, but I wonder whether or not it's too jarring for the audience. It's the fact he has to say, I'm going to work a serious match. He's got to a point where he faffs around so much and does so much (laughs) stick at his matches that he's got to say, I'm going to do a serious match. And you know, this crowd would have loved the stick as well, wouldn't they? 
this crowd uh, yeah. of anyone. This was the place to do it almost for me. I don't think this was the time to prove you can go 30 minutes with Okada. I think it would have been better if he'd have just leaned into the being the elite stuff. Yeah, I think one of the things as well, you know, I don't want to see that against Okada. <laughs> I want an Okada match. I think one of the things he's got to be careful of is he needs to remain on the Kenny Omega side of shtick mm. and not go onto the Joey Ryan <laughs> side of shtick, which is all shtick. Yeah. Kenny Omega seems to like get the balance right. And I don't know if that's because Kenny Omega wrestles less. Mm. Arguably, it seems like Marty works a little bit more. But mm. yeah, I, let's I just tell totally he tones down on that shtick. It's like in Rev Pro. He's, has Marty worked in the UK this year? I don't know if he has. I don't know if he was on the last set of Ring of Honor UK shows, but he's certainly not been booked for any UK company this year. And I don't miss him in Rev Pro like I thought I would, mm. because towards the end of his run, he was just, just doing shtick. And it wasn't the guy who was out Defiant. there having the killer matches to make himself at the end of his run. I think his last Defiant show might have been December. Oh, you know? okay. Yeah, yeah. I've got Because he lost the title to Austin Aries yeah. at that taping we went to. And that mm. was December the 1st last year. So I don't think he went back after those tapings. So I, I don't know if he made a conscious decision to not work for UK promotions this year, maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. But yeah, less shtick, more... The vil- more more Marty scale wrestling. And I was going to say, the, and you mentioned it already, but one of the reasons this match is going to be even more vilified is what happened with the main event <laughs> and the time for yeah. that. It's kind of like we went from this, didn't we, to the commentators speaking at a million, and the commentators that we thought were great all night. I thought Ian Riccoboni mm-hmm. and Caliban Cyrus were brilliant, but Riccoboni kind of had to speak at a million miles an hour to get through the promo segments. Then they went to, there was no video package, no pomp and circumstance, and it was, it was all starting to feel very suspicious, wasn't it, when Rey Mysterio's music hit, uh, and Phoenix and Bandido came out, but then Rey Mysterio took another few minutes to come out, it reminded me of going, I went to a WCW house show in the early 2000s where Lex Luger's Total Package theme was playing for about five minutes before he made his entrance. I don't know what he was doing backstage, I've asked him on Twitter since and he couldn't remember, Coke. but probably it was the most likely yeah. scenario, and all I could remember from that show, it's from most of my memories, that music playing on loop, and I thought we were going to get the same thing with Rey Mysterio here, because it felt like he was backstage and probably hadn't put his mask on yet and was getting told, no, you've got to go out there now because were were short for time um a real shame wasn't it that yeah we had to rush straight into this match and and everyone was put in this Mm -hmm. position it was but it was still a bloody good 12 minutes yeah yeah i like i mean yeah but i don't know maybe it's me i kind of i know that this is it's a spot match isn't it so if a match is going to work in this scenario it's this match but i don't know i was just getting a bit you know, nervous for the wrestlers watching it because I could hear referees shouting, "Take it home, yeah. take it home!" And yeah. they were doing big spot that that big dive spot on the ramp where Coast Rebuchi and Rey Mysterio couldn't even make it out there to get the catch because the books just had to go straight to the pot. The spot. There were loads of moments like that where I can see a match like this working in that short amount of time. But if anything, it just gave me anxiety for the wrestlers watching it and just made me wish even if they could have got an extra minute or an extra two minutes just to let the spots breathe it just it felt like a bit of a shame for me um so yeah i, I feel like i'm the low man on it like, 
What's that? Part of the ex- part of the excitement was the time they were up against. They were up against the clock. Yeah, it was like a good version of an Iron Man match. <laughs> uh, that all the that all the Seth Rollins, Dolph Ziggler falls, wasn't it? Like five, four and a half hour. Yeah, didn't watch it. it sounded shit. Um, I I like the fact there was a time constraint because it wasn't like we got no time constraint. Let's go five hours. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I need to stop going on about that. I, I thought that was part of the enjoyment in a weird way because you were watching these guys up against the clock. Yeah. Um, and we <laughs> haven't Phoenix seen... broke up the pin near the end. Yeah, we haven't seen that on pay-per-view in years. It, luckily, it wasn't Goldberg um, <laughs> DDP from Halloween Havoc. Was it 98? Good match. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, I thought that what they managed to do in 12 minutes... They did deliver on. Bandido got himself over. I'd never seen Bandido before. I can't wait to see him in the J-Cup next Saturday. He was freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, the Rey Mysterio Abushi moment that was, a good was moment. very cool. Yeah. The ovation they got was great. Rey Mysterio's Wolverine costume was my favorite era of Wolverine as well. Awesome. Good man, Ray. This felt to me like it was uh, the hybrid of that Dragon Gate style, but then influenced that PWG style that we currently have. Mm. They did a PWG style match on the biggest, grandest stage possible. Mm. The one thing I was a bit gutted for him about is they definitely wanted to wrestle one of those ROH Dragon Gate five-star matches from a few years ago, and they didn't get the time to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of it. It was kind of I enjoyed the fuck you to the people who don't like them who would would say that a match like this could never headline a show in front of ten thousand people. The fact that they got that moment was cool, and like you say, got to do a, a PWG style match. But yeah, I think it was the difference between it being. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to go near five stars, and it? it's not the it's not so much the wrestlers' fault. It is just the time, isn't it? The, you know, JP mentioned before there was a maybe the thing that maybe just. Nervous on it was as they were trying to go to the finish as well as JP says. Ray Phoenix was breaking up a pin, and you saw all the other wrestlers kind of scowl at him like, "What are you doing, you idiot? Like we need to go home." And they went straight to the to the Meltzer driver as well. It was just that I don't know whether it was I couldn't get over the the real life elements of, of the time thing, but it sounds like maybe you enjoyed that element of it, Joe, and it, it helped for you. Um, I don't know where you land, JP. I I do you know what I. In some ways, if it had been 12 minutes, it would have been fine. But with the pomp and circumstance of the beginning and the end and a speech and other stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it was that, good we didn't get that. that. That's the thing that I think that really felt like I was missing because it kind of, it was ended and me and Rick and Bonnie's like, bye! And then, off <laughs> it, and, then, and then it's ended and you're like, oh, okay. Uh-huh. And I remember at the start of it thinking, I thought they could go up to half past four or something. And he's like, no. It's, it, it became immediately clear <laughs> when they rushed through the, the opening of it. I mean, Going through spots and stuff, it was it was wild for that. And the Phoenix spot, I think we walked on the rope and then oh, did that the was kick. So cool! It was great. I mean, and, and Phoenix is something special, and he's clearly he's the guy who certainly AAA are going all in with. But then, whether or not he he goes to WWE, I can't see him being used there properly. Obviously, there's no chance of that happening. <laughs> but yeah, like you say, this was. In some ways, I wonder whether or not it was a bit of a big fuck you. The fact that, you know, this type of match was never meant to headline and all the people who are critical of and, and uh, authorities and what draws and what doesn't. Mm. And in some ways, it's like, well, no, actually, this stuff can draw. It's not to the detriment of other things. It's just something else that can. If you've got such a wacky match, it just, like, say, it was, it was sad that it couldn't be elaborated on. Um, 
Well, I will say this, that the tail end of Rey Mysterio's indie run has been a real disappointment. I know it was ever since the injury, the match that he had at, um, at the final of the G1, that would, that felt very under, that was very underwhelming. I don't know why they didn't book him in a singles match. Yeah, it, it did feel like... New Japan didn't use him to, to his strengths, yeah. really, I, when they had him on those two occasions. It felt like they kind of wasted him. Whereas, I don't know, when he hit his spots here, I thought he looked good. I thought it was kind of cool seeing him in this sort of match on this sort of occasion with guys that, you know, really probably loved getting to work mm-hmm. with Rey Mysterio. I, I enjoyed that. Um, it's a shame we didn't get more Ibushi. I thought that Ibushi didn't get a lot of massively standout moments mm. in this match. And this is Kota Ibushi working in front of 10,000 people in, in the US. Like, that's fucking amazing from a guy who wrestled a blow-up doll at Kaiju Big Battle at three in the morning, <laughs> like 18 months or two years yeah. ago. You know, like, it's awesome. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it, it's kind of, we've said about this show altogether, it's it's that blend of having the new cool guys, the like you said, the Phoenix, the Bandidos, and the Bucks, and, and Ibushi being big modern stars and having that nod to the fast with Rey Mysterio. Um, again, yeah, great idea, and I think, although maybe I'm the low man on it, I could still recognise, you know, the execution was there, and the big spots were there, and yeah, um, it was kind of the best we've, like JP said, the best we've seen of Rey Mysterio in this you know, this long run where we all know he's going back to WWE. I was almost surprised that he was even still on All In. I thought he'd be back uh, under their contract by this point, but it's good that he got yeah. to, to see it through and, and do this match. It was just, as we've said, just a bit of a shame that they kind of had to rush off the air and the poor commentators didn't get to say goodbye. I mean, we've not really talked too much about them. I thought all three of them did a, a fantastic job at a team I definitely want to see again. Um, I don't know about what what, uh, what you guys made of it. Does your mileage vary on that? At times, Callis can start he, when he starts to do some of the stuff about going on about Ian Rick and Bonnie still a virgin and stuff like that. He's, it's like you need to stay away from that. That's just like a bit rubbish. Mm. That's like old alpha male humour yeah, that I, w- yeah. I wouldn't mind getting rid of. And it's just like I don't think there's any place for it. Excalibur was like a really pleasant surprise because he was he was serious, and if you listen to PWG commentary, it can be kind of anything but at times, <laughs> and. But he knew what was going on with the story, with the stories, the way that him and Rick Abboni in particular kind of flowed. And it was lovely seeing a commentary booth that had <clears throat> Ring of Honor, Impact, slash New Japan and PWG all represented, true, yeah, all getting yeah. on. Excalibur, you think he, he calls shows about 400 people usually. Mm. Like You could probably combine all the shows Excalibur calls in a year and it won't add up to 10,000. I'm a terrible mathematician. You could do it five years and he slotted in perfectly here. Yeah. I, I don't think he would have ever done live wrestling before, would he? Not to my knowledge. And he really no. pulled it off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was... He, he was, I mean, but then I thought Bobby Cruz was ringing, you know, there's all those. That's, that's a question. Bobby went... Cruz or Justin Roberts, who was your choice? I kind of, I like both, but I would have preferred Bobby Cruz to do the whole show. Yeah. But I like Justin Roberts because WWE treated him like shit and he was, it was kind of like more of a fuck you again. He, he was from Chicago and I'm just really immature and I really like fuck yous to WWE. <laughs> yeah. And he was, you know, behind the kind of JBL bully 
stuff from his book as well and the horrible alpha male bullying culture that you know is kind of archaic and exists within that or existed probably still exists within that environment so i i'd like i liked seeing him there it made me smile a little bit i also imagine as well i mean going back on just very quickly onto the with the main event being rushed there's a lot of fans in ireland who aren't entirely sympathetic with them and their problem of like, yeah, it's horrible when, when sometimes a bit of overindulge, overindulgence is humoured earlier on in the, in, in the show. And it can be to the detriment of the main event because <laughs> that happened with the elite in Dublin. It did. Oh yeah. 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 It did. That was kind of a big kickoff, wasn't it this week? Uh, Joe, you will have missed it on Twitter, but yeah, Cody was, uh, Cody he kind of made an offhand comment, didn't he? About the fact that the ref was trying to get them to go home. Uh, when they were in the ring doing that 27 It's only his job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, he needed right. someone like that here tonight, didn't you? So that kind of came full circle as well. Um, parts of that as well, it kind of hurt it for me. I, just as a live watching experience, I really wanted just to, to put that bow on it. And as silly as it is, maybe this is a modern wrestling thing, but uh, and maybe you get too much of it, but... The promo after the show that I, I think I watched on somebody's Periscope with Cody mm. and the books and Omega kind of just saying, you know, the, the, the thank you to the fans and the just the more the kind of just the recognition of what they've got and kind of doing the curtain call. And I believe not a, not a soul in the building left either for it as well. That would have been nice to have on, on the pay-per-view. Maybe not essential, but would have wrapped things up a bit nicer. Although I suppose they'll they'll save that stuff for uh, for being the elite uh, whenever it drops this week. If it fit any show, it would fit this show. Mm. It would have been would have been nice to see. Um, mm. It is a shame. I was gutted when it did go off the air. I'll mm. say that as much as I enjoyed the race against the clock, um, it was a bit. It was anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah. We were like, oh, yeah. it's over then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like one of the shows where you want that kind of... Sometimes I think we do it too much, mm-hmm. and I think that certain indie promotions have become... I've relied on it too much and relied on goodwill of fans or the rest of it. You probably know what I'm referring to there. Um, and But this was a show where I thought it was needed, um, and I'm glad it happened in the building and people got that moment in the building. Be cool if they do release it. Um, I look forward to seeing it when it does come out. Mm. I'm sure they'll take advantage of that, like I say. Being the elite will be the place. Um, But yeah, I think it's a minor thing, really, in the grand scheme of things. I think they they still, they delivered an incredible five-odd hours of of wrestling here and really did something that that was just unprecedented and and genuinely special, something we're all going to remember in years. I suppose the question they they kind of answered on that, like I say, that Periscope screen that... Uh, stream that i watched they root they talked in riddles about a potential mm. all into about uh, uh cody was saying about going double or nothing do you see it happening do you see wwe swooping in and signing all these guys could you do it i suppose i mean a wider question could you do it elsewhere in the world with different talent um it certainly made me think differently about what's possible yeah we've been talking quite a bit about this i know um you were thinking, Joe, they could run, do three of these. You do three a year, maybe. Three a year. One East Coast, one West Coast, one Europe, mm. maybe. That Wishful could... thinking, maybe. <laughs> but the amount of excellent workers out there. And in the, I suppose it's one of the bigger points to take from it, the spirit of cooperation. It's amazing what happens when promotions work together mm. and people work together in a way and put aside stupid, pointless grudges over nothing to actually, you know, they realise, hang on a minute, it's about 
making sure that we're putting on this excellent yeah, product. Yeah. And you hope as a result of that, I'm thinking dream scenario, what happened in Japan where you'd have these sort of multi-promotion shows on a card and they did those, those at the Tokyo Dome. Now, I'm not saying they can go to that yet, but if they are going to aspire a kind of what might be a kind of true wrestling festival would be fantastic. Now, date wise, that would be kind of tricky. Mm. They'd have to work, work out how you would fit that in. But the idea of people from all of the other available promotions around the world, having a show there where media is, and I know there's been, a, you know, some conflicting issues on this, but where the media has on the whole been treated as a kind of positive thing within wrestling and not, like you know, people say, oh, they jumped up marks trying to get themselves over and stuff like that because, God forbid, they love wrestling and they'd like to talk about it. All that type of of feeling, I think that there's the potential for something absolutely massive there. It relies, though, on them not going because they are still the driving force behind it. I'd like to think I'm more convinced. It really depends on how much money WWE are willing to do it. Because effectively they have kind of got a wage structure and they'd have to smash that. And it'd be lots of really upset people who would be doing all these ridiculous amount of dates throughout the year if Kenny Omega comes in there getting five million a year for argument's sake. Mm. So I don't think it's as, as simple as they can they can throw money at it. And I think these guys then, you know, WGN, what will the ratings be like there? How interested will they be? Mm. You know, there's lots of things up in the air about this but this can go in a massive direction and i'm not saying it'll be a direct threat to wrestlemania tomorrow but there's certainly there's certainly the potential for really some really big independent shows i think wwe is so established that this isn't <clears throat> a threat per se no. it's not a true threat they can coexist alongside one another in the same way as one man yeah Say it again. It's not so much them being a threat, is it? It's, it's whether they see it as a threat is, is kind of the problem oh, we, we see. Of course they do. Of course <laughs> they do. This, this bloke wants to start up the XFL again. And is that a threat to the NFL? Like, I'm not saying it's similar, but at the same time, he's going to exist in a world where there's a dominant force that's so established. There's a comparison to some extent. Um, it's a shame that they see anyone else making money off wrestling as a threat because they could learn a lot of lessons from this and they could study this and they could study what worked on this and why this worked and why people were hot and why people liked it. They've got a promotion that runs big shows the night before their big shows and that promotion NXT gets much better crowd reactions and puts on much better shows and people who go to those shows care about the talent a lot more than they care about the talent on the main roster. And they don't care to study those or think about that or take anything from those shows. So I don't think WWE is changing anytime soon, unfortunately. And I hope we get more all in. Um, because if I can feel this positive and this upbeat after watching a wrestling show and feel like I've watched what is a celebration of wrestling, then that's something I want more of because I love wrestling and wrestling at times in my life has made me feel really good and has, you know, thrilled me and, you know, created great moments in my life at times. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it really has. 
And I just don't think WWE are really capable of doing that at this mm. point in time and delivering what the majority of their fan base truly want because, yeah, they're, they're stubborn and they're stuck in their ways. I think, for me, the, the strongest feeling I've ever had like this, and I was trying to think back to a show, and for me, the original ECW One Night Stand, I remember being naive and thinking, oh, this is going to change wrestling, this. ECW is going to come back. And they're going to see their error of the ways, and it's going to be, we're all in this together, and it's going to be something great. And obviously that was not a realistic expectation at all, whereas here with All In, it is a realistic expectation. It's There are plenty of things you could do here, as you've both said. Even if it's as minimum as doing this every September, as well as a big Mania weekend show in conjunction with ROH. Uh, there's possibilities here and there's there's things you can do isn't there so yeah i'm feeling i'm feeling the positivity vibe as well um i suppose um before we go one other question i did want to ask uh, just while we've got a couple of minutes is just i mentioned at the start of the show about potentially doing this in europe could you see something like this taking off in the uk could it could could there be a brit res version of all in or are we are we far too fractured to to make such a thing work i can't help but look at all in and what worked about their business model and think of someone like a chris brooks who's over because of his relationship with fans at the merch table or think of a progress who for you know who will criticize but the reason they're over is this kind of market and where their fans believe they're part of something bigger um but is it again yeah is the fraction of the market and the fact that there's so much division is it even possible over here could could we have even an, an equivalent to this kind of show well, it's kind of a two-part question in a way but you mentioned say chris brooks who's done a great job at branding himself market himself but that's within it but that is to a niche within a niche mm. <laughs> um he would have to grow so much more and i think you look at the uh platforms that the elite guys have got being the elite is caught on more than you could ever have imagined um you think about the way they've marketed themselves on being the elite but you've also got to remember the fact that they've got new japan and what a force new japan is at the moment there are so many more eyes on new japan than are on any anything chris brooks does let's be honest here um i think someone like a brooks and some of the uk guys would need a boost and they'd need to find that extra um distribution stream almost to mm. connect with fans in some way so i think we are a way off being able to promote something of this scale i think if these guys decided they wanted to come over here and promote an all-in i think yeah. they could promote an all-in and they could do yeah. massive business and i think they could do an all-in where they're the headliners and they get some of the new japan guys in but i also think that they could use a brit rest uh, brit rest roster in many ways or a european r roster mm. and establish and get over some of the european guys and pique the curiosity of a lot of people who don't watch so much of what we have in europe mm. so i think it could work if those guys are involved in some way but i don't think that we would be able to successfully do it on our own mm. um gay i don't know how you feel about it um it's i would i would effectively agree with that that the thing that it, it couldn't be too british heavy simply because the British talent base is so fractured and like dividing lines have been put out there. So I don't know if that being the case. I mean, I find it interesting that Cody did a carrot, didn't he? When he first yeah, he went did on, the went 16 first carrot on the last year. And you know, he's worked rev pro, you know, he, he under he's, he's worked British independent shows. He would be aware of there's, you know, 
obviously they hinted at it before, that there's this talent base. And if you can use people who are working in Germany and in Ireland and in, and in the UK as well, there's enough of a kind of an undercard that you could get from that mm. to make something really good. And then Imagine. if they're in a certain way, that would also be... I mean, if you, if you can get Osprey on the next one or Zach as Mate, well on there and Marty... Walter versus Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega, yeah. the gaming geek against the ultimate final boss. Yeah. There's a dream yeah. match right there that I'd love yeah. to see and I think would work if they were to do something like that in Europe. I think it could even work mm. in America. I think how hot Walter is. Um, he's sort of bubbling under on the indie scene, especially in the US right now. He's very established here, obviously. Mm. Um, I think one of the things that you could also answer this with is look at the show we've got here at the end of the month at Wembley Arena. Yeah, I don't that's know the how obvious comparison, it's... isn't it? Because that should, yeah. be, that should be 10,000 people, but I don't think it's going to be. Yeah, but that show should be do i don't know how how ticket sales are doing for that show really um i'm i'm not gonna go um i may I, you know maybe last minute if i can get a ticket for a tenner i'll go it's not far from me i'm paying no more than 10 pound to get into that building though um that show has been hamstrung by a relationship that is meant to provide positives for them and actually the opposite has kind of happened really and I do feel for them a little bit because obviously the New Japan show we didn't know about at the time. Yeah. But I don't feel that there's the buzz around that show um, that there could have been two years ago if there wasn't that WWE affiliation. Now, you could argue the fan base has grown with more WWE exposure, but that organic growth that was experienced earlier on isn't quite the same and these guys cody and the bucks i think have done it from the ground up progress did it from the ground up and then got the wwe boost and the wwe boost i think has hindered it because it's put fans like ourselves off that show in a big way because we don't like the relationship we feel that it's interfered with the british indies it's not necessarily made the british indies healthier for the long term it's made the guys lives who have signed with them better for the maybe the short term in a way maybe the long term if they they catch on and they do get full-time contracts potentially but the wembley show doesn't have the buzz it should have and i don't think it's going to do the numbers it could have done if it was able to generate a buzz like this. Mm. Yeah, it was kind of... I think when it was announced, I mean, even though knowing everything you're saying there about progress and WWE and it being announced as you know potentially the biggest indie show, at least in Europe ever, uh, well, it might still be. Uh, I just kind of... Yeah, I, I was hopeful early on, whereas, yeah, my, I'm... I don't feel quite as negative. I'm going to go. Uh, they've still got enough on the show to interest me, but it's not. It doesn't feel like biggest indie show ever material. It just feels like uh, it's a big-ish progress show. Uh, they haven't kind of connected with me as a big landmark indie show, like or anywhere near the scale that that, that all in has. Um, and there's a like you said, there's a a million reasons for that. And yeah, progress would be maybe aside from the be affiliation when i asked about could you do something like this in europe progress would have been my kind of vote you know a couple of years ago as kind of having mm -hmm. that 
that power with their fan base and that power to draw people in combine it with a you know a, if you did a super show with a wxw or a rev pro involvement or like you've said involvement to the bullet club or in a parallel universe new japan involvement you might have been able to do it you might have been able to convince me it was it, it would be possible uh but yeah i don't see it now uh it doesn't seem like something that's uh that's very likely to happen i agree and i think they've kind of lost that appeal mm. you think year two ago before the wwe relationship i think pro- progress wasn't a closed shop it feels like it's much more of a closed yeah, shop at the big now, whereas yeah. they can't work um collectively like all in has kind of done with the guys and i know that contracts obviously a big issue there but imagine if they were able to work and i know they work with wxw but so the wxw and rev pro mm. and they were able to benefit from rev pro's new japan relationship um, their connections with ring of honor as well obviously they put the bucks and all the rest of the guys before as well you could have had this super show with maybe uk promotions sprinkling a new japan to help draw and say the elite to help draw as well and possibly could have happened but because the biggest uk indie promotion at this moment in time has become a closed shop it makes it harder for say uk indie super show to occur Definitely. Yeah, I think that that's the the difficulty. It's the fractured marketplace, as we talked about earlier, that makes it hard. But hey, maybe Cozy and the Bucks will come over and they'll save us and do a big show in Dublin and mm. uh, get some revenge on those uh, OTT fans <laughs> who are uh, gleefully laughing at the uh, the overrunning of the pay-per-view. Uh, maybe that'll happen and maybe we could still get to something like this because uh, Lord knows WWE aren't coming back over and doing a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam anytime soon, so... there is a market there is a marketplace that could take advantage of it so who knows uh any notes on that jp or anything else uh i know you watched a lot of starcast over the week Uh, i don't think there's much about that uh (laughs) anything at all i enjoyed the four-star panel um that was that was good fun with the guys from wrestling observer and pw torch Joe watched a bit of the Marty Skull karaoke. I, fl- I liberally flicked through Lib- it. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what is this? How is yeah. this a thing? Uh, and you don't need to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I didn't plan on it, to be honest. I watched the Monday night debate. Well, I say watched it. A lot of that stuff was kind of on while I was doing housework and other things. But yeah, it was, it, it was as oh, revisionist history aplenty. <laughs> um, all over the shop so uh, it was yeah uh, some of that stuff is is fun there were lots of you know I, from everyone that you hear about who, who went to the show they seem to have a great time around Starcast as well mm. um so that was good fun i also say as well um on the indie corner site uh, matt matt cease or matt sessi i'm not quite sure how i say his name he's done um a review of all in as well where he's gone into a bit more sort of um, detail on the moves and whatnot. So if you get a chance to um, go over to the website and have a read of that, definitely. Yeah, to check Matt out. Um, that's pretty much it, really. Yeah, keep an eye on the indiecorner.com. There's a great graps and claps up there from Andy Ogden covering the progress and oh, WXW yeah. weekender. Um, and basically, his weekend in Germany, which sounds like a, a hell of a time. Uh, definitely, uh, highly recommend checking that out from our friend Andy. Uh, but yeah, that's that's it for a show. We've got uh, MediaCon at the weekend. Uh, that should be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a shame we couldn't. I mean, all in, as you said there, JP. It sounded like 
live being there and getting to see so many live podcasts and live wrestling personalities there did sound like it was a big part of the weekend so we're going to get to see MediaCon uh, this weekend and uh, see some of the people from there live there'll be a competition on the Indie Corner Twitter as well that you can uh, retweet and fave to get a couple of weekend tickets to that and you you may bump into all those three guys there as well so keep an eye out for that um, but other than that yeah, follow me on Twitter at Benson Richie Lee uh, Joe's still absconded but uh, JP where can people find you? At JP Jippy three E's. Awesome. Follow the Indie Corner at the Indie Corner, and that's it for another show. We'll catch you again soon. Bye. Bye.